Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. If you are in the U.S., you have an extra-long weekend to listen to this extra-long finale to our question-and-answer trilogy. Yes, for the next two hours and 20 minutes, Graham McMillan and I discuss the latest uproar over the direct market, CW shows leaving Hulu, what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man, Archie Comics the future of Marvel Unlimited, underrated and overrated Fantastic Four runs, and much, much more, all based on questions submitted to us from our listeners on Patreon. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham! Graham McMillan, hello. Jeff! Yes, Graham. Yes! No, I, I'm just, I'm, I I'm know, it was a good again. start. I'm like, <laughs> Jeff! <laughs> I just start chatting it. Jeff Lester! <laughs> Jeff Lester, and that'll be it. Graham, do you have strong feelings about the fact that apparently Hulu's going to be pulling a bunch of the CW uh, DCU shows? Uh, well, they're pulling all the CW shows, which I have strong feelings about. Oh, yeah, all the CW shows. There uh, are other shows on the CW. CW signed a new deal with Hulu a few months ago and and, and did this, made this move. And I, I strong feelings would be maybe a bit strong, but I'm, I'm really pissed. Mm-hmm. Like, the majority of things I watch on Hulu are CW shows, probably. Right. Right. Uh, CW shows on, like, you know, random shit. Mm-hmm. I, that's how I catch up on my Seth Meyers monologues, but, <laughs> you know, they're on YouTube, so. <laughs> okay. I'm not joking. I watch the Seth Meyers monologues. Uh, that's amazing. That's very I interesting. Seth Meyers show. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah I know. Okay, yeah, just me then. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't, I, you know, it's the weirdest thing. I just, there was a point where I, I never really got into any of the late night monologue stuff like which is a shame because i really did come of age during the golden years of david letterman and i just so i was always like i'm too big a fan of sleep like i watched saturday night live through high school and then i think maybe that's it like seriously there might have been a few times where i checked in on it occasionally but as a rule of thumb i just i'm i'm not a late night guy and some of those monologues are okay but you know well, they're, just... they're never great is the thing like mm-hmm. i i like seth meyers because to my mind he's the uh one that's closest to what i want mm-hmm. like he basically is doing weekend update but he's doing it nightly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and that's that's fine mm-hmm. uh it's better than you know colbert's stuff which is really softened down mm-hmm uh, and 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 the less said about the others, the better. Let's <laughs> don't get me started on Jimmy Fallon, you guys. Um, there was a I, period where Fallon just seemed to be a thing, is, and right? it seems like he's less of a thing now, right? Or I, or, I, I, no, or are the kids I, just not communicating I, on my channel anymore? No, I think I think you're right. I, yeah. I think that he's he's not a thing. I'm not sure who is, who is a thing anymore. I thought it was funny when Larry Wilmer show was cancelled and everyone's like, oh no, how dare Comedy Central? And it's like, when was the last time you fucking watched Larry Wilmer show? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because exactly. you guys definitely haven't been talking about it for, you know, since it fucking launched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally true. Totally true. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, which reminds me. I think that that's a fine way to talk about, um... Do you want to? Do, I know we have listeners' questions. We should get to them. But what did you think about this week's burn down the direct market slash comic books are dead controversy? 
that, that's what I thought about. That pretty much does uh, sum it up, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's we have we have these all the time. I, you know, this is what I'll tell you what I thought about it. Um, in midweek, I was talking to the editor of a major metropolitan newspaper. <laughs> Uh, about yeah, I was talking to the editor of the Daily Planet. I was about to say, like you and Perry White, I knew it. <laughs> um, and we were talking about a a story about comics and about com- comic sales. And said editor forwarded me the Outhousers link. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What about this? This is blowing the lid off the game." <laughs> uh, and my response was honestly like, "That's not a story." Yeah, like it's it's. It's basically someone who's really pissed off because the drag market doesn't exist the way they want the drag market to exist. And so they're just, like, coming up with hyperbole to say how much they hate it. <laughs> you know, like, it's... it's The drag market is a broken system. Sure. The Outhousers piece was just a mess. It was really a mess. I mean, that was the thing. I, I do. I like I like the Outhousers. I like Jude Terror a lot. But reading that piece, I, it was weird how I had these strange, like, like so much of the history was gotten really wrong. Yeah, that's right. It was like, if you're going to, like, you genuine, there is a piece to write, which is the drag market is broken and it is hurting comics as a medium. Mm-hmm. Like, there, that's. You can definitely make that argument. Mm-hmm. That piece didn't make that argument because it was so fucking wrong half the time. Yeah, just really wrong. Just, just really impressively. Now, the thing that I, what I find interesting is I do agree. I am, I am also pretty sick of shit of, uh, basically people being, you know, cause I, as I recall, part, part of the, um, particular, uh, match that lit that particular, uh, fuse was brian bendis saying something uh, like well you know this is what you get if you don't if you don't buy the comics if you don't well, order the books and blah, yeah blah, but blah. what what that was in response to is marvel canceled nighthawk yes um and with the best will in the world again no one was fucking buying nighthawk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily a failure of the drug market well, uh, no, no, agreed. That's not necessarily a failure. Although, and I mean, that's that's I mean, where these wrong. factors. The direct markets didn't help. Mm-hmm. But if Nighthawk was honestly, if Nighthawk was the book that everyone who was upset about it being cancelled said it was, mm-hmm. it would have found an audience. Well, I don't know about that, Graham. Because I, I genuinely, I th- I think it would be like an uh, Omega Man type situation. Uh, no, Omega Man was cancelled, and then and then. And uncancelled, but that's pure. That isn't because of the audience. That was pure. I mean, because of the audience finding the book, it was purely because that DC had the commitment and, and decided to listen to you know the the tastemakers and the activists and and the what have you. But I think the point could be made that there's no because I was like when I went because I, I thought about maybe picking up the issues during this Marvel on BOGO sale that's ongoing it's only uh, it's only had issue four out it's that they maybe have solicited out to issue six that's not that's it yeah yeah so I mean to me I'm like that there is something that's a little that's sure, not a long it's... leash for something that was just starting to build up oh sure yeah. but I mean Marvel's canceled books faster yeah, well, I know, but I, I'm sort of, 
But Star that, Brian's a knight's mask. We barely knew you. Literally. <laughs> I think you made it like issue three. Right. So Um But but no, I guess what I'm saying is uh I think the reason I, I point to Omega Man is Omega Man One came out. For that matter, Vision One came out. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, holy shit, this is the, this is the book. Mm-hmm. This is something. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly don't know vision sales versus night mask sales, for example. Right. But I think if night mask had had even half of the buzz of vision, it wouldn't have been canceled. Because Marvel, like DC, pays attention to trade sales as well. That's how Squirrel Girl is still around. That's how uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is still around. So the idea that Marvel is cancelling this book before the trade is even solicited mm-hmm. suggests to me that not only is the, their sales not there, but there's not enough buzz for them to care either. And I don't think that's just a drag market fault. I think there's lots of things, lots of fingers spined there. I, 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 I actually think that there's, there's more fingers to point that, yes, that I think that I don't, for me, the direct market is less responsible there than in some cases Marvel, and maybe in some cases the audience. I don't know. That's I what just, I'm. That's what I'm saying. I know. I. 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 I feel like you're kind of, you know, inclining your head a little bit more towards the audience, and I, I'm sort of for myself. No, I, I, no, for honestly, I'm inclining my head towards Marvel as well. Oh, okay. Well, then I think that, I think we're sort of on the same page, and part of me is. It's it's annoying when the guy who published I don't know eight issues of Scarlet over three years is the person <laughs> who tells people that they should that that it's their responsibility to pre-order books. Yeah, but uh, sure. And also, that's a that's a false flag operation, Jeff. <laughs> what do you mean? Because if everyone who said on the internet, I can't believe they're upsetting Nighthawk, I can't believe they're canceling Nighthawk, I'm so upset had pre-ordered the book, the book still would have been cancelled. Because you're talking 25 people. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, no. You know? Right. No, no, no. Like, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I feel that every time we get a burn it down about the drug market, mm-hmm. it's completely pointless, first of all, mm-hmm. but also, it feels like it's like get angry at the publishers for not promoting the shit better. Mm-hmm. Get angry at the audience for not really looking outside its comfort zone more. Get angry at uh, get angry at the journalists and the comic sites mm-hmm. for not talking about this shit more. Get angry at like the, the mechanism of the drug market is flawed. It's like massively flawed. But the mechanism of the drag market is also something that supports other publishers besides Marvel, DC, and Image. Mm-hmm. And I feel every time someone's like, burn it down! I'm like, part of me is always like, sure, but then what does Oni do? No, I believe you know I mean? me. Like, like, no, no, no. Like, you and I are both on the same page. I am not, I am not, I I am a big supporter of the, of the direct market. And I honestly feel I, you know, as again, as a Hibsian disciple, I think there's a lot stronger case to be made for the direct market than people have tended to to make for it, you know, apart from Hibs and maybe a few others over the course of the last 
15 to 20 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the answer is honestly, fix the drag market. Don't burn it down. Right. The drag market supports half of your fucking favorite books. Right. Without right. the drag markets, your, those books do not exist. Those publishers don't exist. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, and I, I'm, I'm with you there. But I think that it is interesting. I do also understand the frustration of people who are like, I want to be able to buy the thing in the format that I want to buy it in at the time when I want to read it. You know, and uh, uh, do you like? I kind of do, but I also kind of don't because that it, it's it's a, a loaded term to say these days. But that feels like a very entitled argument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's it's like for me, the people who you know get upset that Fargo's on FX and isn't immediately available as a box set, you know, of DVDs. It's like sure, but that's not what it's created as. Well, no, I, I, whereas I think the, the idea that people are being told like, Hey, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't order cable to get FX to watch Fargo, like we're not going to give you a DVD box set. It's like, I can see there's a certain amount of frustration there on, on certain parts because, you know, I just don't think that we have a, a, the the great thing about the comic marketplace, the serialized comic marketplace, is is that it's rel it's a relative anomaly, um, you know, oh, so in, like, in terms think, of think of any other business model. It's like the the direct market. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> the closest thing that you can kind of get is 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 TV, where it's like if enough people watch, then the show keeps going. But you know, it it's it's taken a long time for. I mean, really, the cable marketplace is somewhat analogous to the direct market in a way. Like, before you had it, there was relatively homogenous product, whether or not people want to believe otherwise. There was product for kids, and then there was product for people who were embarrassed that they were buying stuff that seemed like it was for kids. But, you know, and then there were the undergrounds being sold out of head shops, but that was in its process of collapsing, I believe when the direct marketplace was set up and we wouldn't be looking at things like, you know, Cerebus or love and rockets or like elf quest was a huge thing that was able to thrive under the early, you know, auspices of the direct market. Yeah. You and I are both really, and, and by the same token, once you managed to get away from Nielsen ratings and you had people paying, you know, for premium channels and you could have smaller audiences and there was a secondary market, which again, the rise in home video is somewhat analogous to the trade paperback marketplace and that, that neither of those things existed, uh, in, in any significant fashion, like what, three dec three or more decades ago, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's, 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 so there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, so TV and, and comics are sort of weird kissing cousins a little bit, but and, and maybe that's part of why people even more so get confused about the, the other. Yeah. The other thing that you, you kind of just reminded me there is another problem I have with the burn everything down with the direct market is I feel like there's so many, not so many alternatives, but there are alternatives to the direct market. Mm-hmm. There's web comics, there's Kickstarters, there's, you know, they're, they're self-publishing, there's their self-distribution. That, uh, I guess, every time I see someone say burn it down, mm-hmm. they basically, 
think of the comic book industry and for that matter, the comic book medium mm-hmm. as being Marvel DC and image. Do you know what I mean? And like, maybe we're lucky if they put in image there. A lot well, of but that, times, but yeah, yeah, but do you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. like, you don't see people talk about for a second mm-hmm. or, or Abrams comics arts mm-hmm. or scholastic, mm-hmm. or you don't see them talking about, uh, web comics. Mm-hmm. You don't see them talking about things that people are doing outside of the Drake market. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't, I put it this way. The argument did not hold water and it was in a pretty shitty piece. What I found so. amazing, what, I mean, apart from just the, the fact that it was his, it, it just had a really very bad, historically uh, poorly written, I guess, in terms of the historical facts, but also, I guess, surprising to me that it is a, that, like you said, there's a little bit of a culpability dodge there. You know, the, the fact is, is that web comics have been around a while now. And, and actually, I mean, Patreon has really changed the game for some web comics people there, which is great. But, you know, I mean, for me, the, the fact that digital sales have plateaued is a sign. They've not just plateaued. They've probably gone down. Oh shit! See, and if they're going down, to me that's also a kind of crazy sign that, um, you know, that how do I put it? That it's kind of like we shouldn't necessarily be having that conversation because we do have these other venues that sort of look like they were open or could open and ultimately are not opening or not opening for many. Well, okay, I'm actually going to pivot from this into one of the questions that people have asked. I'm skipping ahead a couple so we can go back. Okay. But Comic, Comic Cruncher asked, floppies versus graphic novels, trade paperbacks versus digital. Mm. How do you see the market developing and what are the implications for the future? So I'm going to like just throw some things out there and use this as a basis for the conversation. Sure. One, digital is plateauing slash shrinking. Right. Uh, two, bookstore market is apparently the growth market again. Mm-hmm. I've heard multiple publishers say this, both publicly and privately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, floppies are, as much as people complain about them, still like the main moneymaker for almost every publisher. Yeah. Uh, and then you see something like DC's news this week. You know that Rebirth is stupidly successful for them. Mm-hmm. 12 million comics in mm-hmm. the last three months. Mm-hmm. Um, although let's let, I think it's very important to talk about those numbers with a big asterisk, which is that DC rebirth is a very smart direct market hybrid. You know what I mean? Uh, explain hybrid, uh, the very nature of the direct market sort of more or less by definition is that it's being bought on a non-returnable basis. Starting with the new 52 and continuing into Rebirth, one of the things that DC has been much more forward-thinking with returnability. Mm -hmm. And what's great is that Rebirth, with the returnability that they allowed um, retailers to have, meant that retailers took, took a lot of the risk off the retailers, and the retailers gambled. And apparently oh. had like that high sell through, which I think so, is so great. So let's but... let let's unpack this a bit because I, for once, did some independent reporting. 
uh, on this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I talked to a bunch of retailers about Rebirth. Uh-huh. And basically, uh, my, my question is basically, how is Rebirth performing? Mm-hmm. And how is it performing versus pre-Rebirth DC? Right. And the short version is of the retailers I spoke to, and I spoke to five retailers, um, massively outperforming pre-Rebirth DC, like dramatically. Yes. You know, hundreds of percent. Right. Um, the returnability was mentioned a lot mm-hmm. uh, because, as as a lot of people said, like basically when you make a book 100% returnable, we're going to order more, mm-hmm. of course. Um, but what was really interesting is a couple of retailers said returnability is great, but you've still got to pay for it up front. So it doesn't mean you throw crazy numbers out there. Mm-hmm. It, you basically you're, you order what you think you can sell. Mm-hmm. Like maybe a bit more than you think yourself, but you don't go crazy because you don't have the money to go crazy. Well, some some retailers don't. I, you know, it, uh, yeah. most retailers, I would say, don't. But that's exactly. not necessarily the case for all retailers. Sure. I think. Um, but what all of them said that was fascinating to me is the two things that have made uh, well outside of the quality of the stories because every single retailer said, and basically the comics are better, and that's why they're selling. Yes. But beyond that, the two things that he said, which really surprised me, is making the difference for Rebirth, the two ninety nine price point yeah. versus versus Marvel's three ninety nine through five ninety nine, and the frequency of publication. Mm-hmm. I had that mentioned to me by three different retailers, who said twice monthly is really smart because it basically does not give people time to drop off the book. That's right. They are. Because I was like, but, you know, are they not just overwhelmed? And they're like, no, they're excited. Mm-hmm. And they remember what happens in the previous issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it's in a lot of people's minds. And this was very interesting to me because someone suggested this. And I don't know if this is true, but it was a really interesting theory. Because they get two issues a month, mm-hmm. they expect less story in each each issue. Yeah, I actually think that there's something to that. That, that if... Tom King's Batman issues have been coming out monthly, people would kind of be uh, quasi up in arms about it, even at two ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting is uh, I remember seeing, I think it was Andy Curry talk on Twitter mm-hmm. about the, the frequency. And he basically went, one of the great things about doing the books twice monthly is you suddenly have the breathing room and the space to do the stories that comics used to do and don't do anymore, which is the between big arc breathers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me that both the creators and the audience see this increased frequency, which, you know, Marvel did for a while, and this people didn't talk about this, as being something that redefines the way they're reading the series, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. Uh, but yeah, returnability was really, really big. Um, and, and DC has more than once gone through returnability well. Mm-hmm. For, their, for, I think, all their big books, they go mm-hmm. through returnability. Um, I, uh, so yeah, bookstores are apparently where it's at. If you're looking to grow your market right now, mm-hmm. if you're looking to find new audience, it's the bookstore market. Yeah. Digital seems to have, have, I don't want to say come and gone, but more or less, you know, which is really kind of interesting to me. I am, I have to say, this is the part where I think that comiXology has failed hugely, hugely in that it was um, 
a shitty newbie experience. You know what I mean? If you want to try and figure out where to go, like you, you have an iPad, you would like to try comics or even sort of vague memories of it. You, you can't, you can't go to comiXology and figure out fuck all. And I mean, I say that as somebody who can spend time, like, <clears throat> I think I, I've written on the, the, uh, website about how shitty the comiXology search engine is. And on top of that, there is the, the whole, um, palim test nature of comics publishing over these last several years where books have been restarting their numbering. It's, it's a met. Just try searching on Captain America and you Oh, have... comicsology search function is terrible. It is. It, it, it it's is not, awful. it's not even just the relaunches. Yeah. Like I, I was searching for like a Justice League of America mm-hmm. thing. And it did, like Justice League of America, the title in the series launch was the fourth title it gave. Yes, yeah, exactly. It, it, and so the search results are horrible. It's it's really it's really a bad bad experience, and it's, it's particularly bad for serialized books. Um, they, I really think that. I I mean I don't think that that's entirely you know, 100% the case. I think that there's a lot to be said for the, it, you know, it's probably not a surprise that, that comic sale, that digital comic sales have plateaued and, or started to shrink as tablet sales have plateaued and started to shrink. But I do think that the possibility for getting a lot of new people in there was completely inhibited by the fact that no one wanted to put in the time to do what any, decent retail clerk can do at a comic book store, which is uh, someone walks in. I'm not saying it's the easiest. Believe me, no, I've, no, no, I've I, had I to deal with I, that problem. You know, sure. I, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm groaning because while I agree, I don't think that was the killer. I think the killer was also that you didn't own any of that shit. Mm, like I, 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 I you, well, you know this, like comicsology, you basically are renting, you're paying to rent. Sure. And I know that I bought, um, oh God, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Century 2009. Mm-hmm. For what? Um, <laughs> uh, for, for what? work? <laughs> I, I, no, I, I, no, I really wanted to read it because this is when everyone was like, Harry Potter, what the fuck? Oh, okay. Um, and I paid like $8 or something for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not available as that anymore. And so that $8 is gone because it's only available as the collected edition. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. That has I that has never happened to me with yeah. a book ever that I know of. You know, maybe it helps that my collection's too big, but like they literally didn't allow you access to your book anymore. Yeah, because I I am I am I, maybe it was a, like a glitch when I was looking for it, but I am fairly sure that I bought that as like the single edition, not the collected edition. Uh-huh. Um, I'm looking for it the other day. I couldn't find the single edition. But I could find the collected edition. Huh. It, like, it, in your in your library, you mean? No, 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 no. Like in on the store. Oh, oh, that's that's deeply strange, Graham. I have to say. I mean, I, 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 but but it's the same is true of it. Like everyone knows this. You can't. You can only download PDFs of particular or CBCs of particular publishers. Yes. Um, and and so otherwise you're renting. You're paying to rent. And I think I think that's a, a real. I think that's a real drawback because if the service goes down, 
then you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 you know, mm-hmm. also like, uh, speaking as I don't know, I was going to say, cause I'm not a new type. I'm not a new fan, but like, I just prefer reading stuff in print. No. And a lot of people do. And that, and that is fine. There's nothing. I don't think that that's necessarily a problem at all. And that could well be the case, but, um, yeah, I, hmm, I don't know. That's, it's just, Interesting to me that, um, because uh, because of course, uh, people who who dig it in print, I honestly think that's the other thing is is I think that there's a lot of people because I I have friends who were I I feel like I I thought I was an outlier. I'm starting to feel more like an anomaly. I still like having it on digital. I think I actually prefer it. I, I know you do. We've we've talked about this yeah, before. Exactly. So it's so for me, it's kind of like. Mm. But that's like that's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, but, I, part of, but part of me is also like, what happens one day when one of your publishers go under and they disappear from the store? Yeah, I don't. I I don't know what to. I don't know. I mean, you know, I I remember worrying about the Star Wars books when they um when Dark Horse lost the license and I had books on the Dark Horse app. And it's like they're there. You know, so part of me feels I'm more worried about what happens when Comixology itself goes under. You know, uh, it, it won't, but they'll fold it into Amazon. They'll fold it. They'll fold it into Kindle at some point. Well, yeah, right. I mean, worst case scenario it gets folded in, back into Amazon, and then all the books that I have on Comixology get shifted back to the Amazon Kindle's shitty reader. Has that not already happened though? Uh, I, I still remember last time I logged into Comixology, it was basically like, all your books are available on Kindle. And I was like, okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Well, I don't, actually, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's an entirely two way street. And for that matter, there's stuff that's available that I purchased on the Kindle that's still not available on Comixology, like those Judge Dredd treasuries that I purchased, you know? Yeah, um, which is super weird. Like, it's super weird to me that Amazon owns both. And yet you can get like like the the two thousand eighty titles are available as digital titles on the Kindle and are not available on Comixology. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. I I get I get the feeling that that is that is something that I sort of respect two thousand AD and Titan for whatever reason. They've decided to do it that way and I I think because they don't want to compete against their own app. I suppose, I guess, you know, whereas before, I don't know, it's one of those things where I'm, I, I assume, you know, if you shot a direct message to, to Mulcher, I'm sure he would tell you, he might even reply publicly, but I, I am fascinated. That's not the case. And part of me is like, okay, that's fine. When I bought it for the Kindle, I bought it. I, I was actually kind of delighted when, of course, this merger happened and there were several things that I had bought for the Kindle that suddenly were available. And, and now, of course, um, we're still in this weird gray area where because the there's the Marvel buy one get one sale on Comixology, and then there's the Marvel half off sale on Amazon, but the books that you buy on Amazon like for Marvel like all of them are available on Comixology. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, like yeah. so you in a weird way I have a lot more control over how much ridiculous amounts of money I want to throw out the window. You know so. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I think there's a lot of things that, that have made people coolish about digital, but I think that there's a lot where I honestly think that one of the things that would make a 
big, big difference would be a, a, a much more guided experience. And, but that, of course, requires just shit tons of, of labor, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure you can do a guided experience like you do in a comic book store. Well, because, not, not because, at that level, no. I mean, but, but do you do it like Amazon does it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where you buy something and it's like, people also bought because yeah. it's again a surprising comicsology doesn't do that yeah i agree i i'm i it is it is very weird that it's there but the fact of the matter is it's hard enough it, it, it's 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 hard enough just being able to look something up by an by a comic creator you know and it's like frank miller Daredevil comes up, and then you put click on Daredevil, and is it the Frank Miller issues? No, it's all of Daredevil. You know, it's just, it's 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 a it's bullshit. It is a seriously bullshit database. But even if you did, even if you did sort of start that structured, because they're always like new to comics, start here. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. I mean, again, it's that weird thing of. Nobody wanted to take the time or the money to build the 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 branded experience, I guess, you know, and they could have and should have because there's lots of other things in the world where you do get that, even if it's like Jesus Christ, just you know bundle stuff under season one, you know, or that thing of bundle it by. Decade with like two line intro, you know, the shit that we were talking about in the um, 75 fifth anniversary DC collections, you know, mm -hmm. those things, even that passing uh, explanation of here's here's what distinguished Batman stories from the 60s from those of the 70s could be a huge, huge boon you know, to someone that's trying to, to navigate through fucking Batman. Exactly. On, on, on I, I know comics and I want to read Batman. Yeah. But it's comicsology. Oh shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and so again, I think everyone was just, you know, they treated it as a weird ancillary moneymaker and not as a genuine alternative to a marketplace, you know? And I think, so I think, I think, I think they're, they're reaping, paying, reaping the dividends of that, you know, in the name. I, okay. I'm going to ask you super quickly, how do you see the market developing? Do you think that people are going to go back to floppies? Do you think the bookstore market is going to end up going to become more dominant? Do you think digital is going to, Unstall because I don't. I think digital stalling is is it. Unless someone, the only way I can see digital growing is if Comicsology Unlimited becomes a thing. I, I don't think like buying individual comics is going to unstall at this point. I think it's basically yeah, it's, it's done. It's 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 thing. I think it, it's it's grown as far as it can. Um, floppies. I, I, I don't know. I, I think the bookstore is, remains the great untapped. The, the problem with, the problem with bookstores is, is kind of twofold. And part of it is bookstores, bookstores are untapped for people, the majority of which, there's very few publishers 
that publish actual books that yeah. have have sort of stuck around for that. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of them use the the whole one two punch of the direct market for serialization and then the bookstore market for your product. I think is great. It's a it's a fine way to take two different marketplaces, two different audiences, you know, and one undercut underwrites the other, you know, the yeah. other. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, even, even stuff, the, the manga that we see coming out has been, you know, underwritten by running in serialized fashion over in Japan. You know, I, I think I, so to me, I, I think that, Comic stores seem to be doing very well. I think that they are going to continue to do do well as long as we don't have a situation where one of the big two slash two and a half, um, you know, fucks up the marketplace. Um, I, I think that I think that f- as that continues to grow, people will be using book market, the book marketplace as like a great marketplace for them to, to grow their comics. And then, you know, those will fall in and out of fashion depending on how things roll, I think. And, and I think that'll be fine. The, the, in other words, I think things are going to be pretty as much, they are. yeah, pretty much as they are with certain weirdo exceptions. And I think those weirdo exceptions are, um, like we really don't know what Marvel is doing. I think Marvel still, <laughs> you know, and I think Who I think Mar- what Marvel is well, doing. and I think Marvel's in trouble. And I think the fact that Marvel has had some luck with, um, you know, their their three ninety nine stuff is selling, and they're doing more and more four ninety nine, five ninety nine stuff more often. I think that they're going to, depending on what the demands of Marvel are on Marvel, you know, behind the scenes, I think that they can chug along with that for a while. I think they can be like, okay, we have 30,000 regular customers, but those 30,000 regular customers are actually willing to pay four ninety nine more often than not. They're like, that's going to make up their difference for them as long as they don't have to continue to grow it. But at that point, I think but, things But at the get same time, Marvel ugly. is trying to grow it in a shitty, half-hearted way, but they are. You look at uh, the fact that they're doing the Squirrel Girl graphic novel, mm-hmm. I think is um, really a move towards accepting that there is this for want of a better way of putting it, scholastic audience out there, the response to something like Squirrel Girl or uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur uh, and and the, the graphic novel, I think, is an attempt to move into the scholastic market. I hope you're right. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's going to be successful, but I think that's clearly what they're doing. Mm. Um, and yeah. it's, it's interesting to me because I think... You see Marvel have a freak hit and then try and retrofit a business model around it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not entirely confident that the Squirrel Girl thing will work into a, you know, oh, look, we've got this secondary market that is uh, kid readers Mm -hmm. or YA readers who accept uh, OGN-specific material. Mm -hmm. Um. On the plus side, we get a squirrel card graphic novel out of it. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, hooray. But I have no, you know, I, I don't think that this is necessarily going to be any more successful than Tsunami. Oh, so- yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, the Squirrel Girl thing is, to me, as much an extension of what I'm saying, which is we have 18,000 loyal readers of Squirrel Girl or 13,000 or whatever, you know, 13,000 in print and another 9,000 in digital, you know, that are willing to pay 399, maybe they'll be willing to pay 1599. No, 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 but but I think what I'm saying is I think the book the the graphic novel is them specifically going for the people who are buying the trades mm-hmm. and then trying to use that to leverage into the literally the scholastic market. By which I mean the catalog where kids get at school and they can buy books. Sure. Yeah. I I I hope so. I'm I'm saying saying I yeah I'm I'm skeptical of the success of this plan. Yeah. But I think that that I think that their Squirrel Girl book in particular, much more than any of their earlier OGNs, because let's face it, they died a fucking death. Mm Hmm. Um. I think Squirrel Girl one is uh. Oh, maybe we can try this market, mm-hmm. and it's not the drag market, mm-hmm. and it's not just we have these eighteen thousand people who are reading Squirrel Girl. I think it's them looking at the sales of the trades and saying, "Oh, there's more people reading it in collection. There's an audience out here that is not the drag market audience, and what if we try and give them something original?" Yeah, I, I, um, I don't know if. if what people are saying is true. Mm-hmm. Squirrel Girl and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur in particular, and I think Hellcat as well, in particular, are massively outselling their direct market sales in collected editions. Yes. Like significantly so. Mm-hmm. Which, unless there are people triple dipping, as in not just buying the single issues, but then buying more than one edition of the collected editions. Mm-hmm. Means there is another market out there. Yeah, I think so. so I, it, yes, to to try and build that out. Honestly, my first response is it's Marvel. They'll they'll find some way to fuck that up. Oh yeah. Well, because I think part of the way that they fuck it up is is that that um just because the marketplace is out there, and this is this is one of the things that s- struck me when people were. On their, you know, holy jihad against the direct market is, is that, you know, these guys are pikers when it comes to advertising, you know, and marketing <laughs> and, and trying to break into new markets there. It takes, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of advertising to, to, to get kids attention to break into any market. And, and that is something that, you know, is just. They, they, people don't want to put that money into it. The, that is, that's the part of the problem is, is the direct market rather than being used as a safe, solid base to develop their product and then market it elsewhere. Their version of marketing, it seems to be like, nah, yeah, well, okay, I guess we'll get half of a convention booth at the BEA. You know, it's like there are other places like, you know, No Brow Books and Scholastic and uh, uh, who was publishing Amulet? Uh, Scholastic. Was it Scholastic? I thought there was someone before it. But, you know, that that are 
taking that stuff very seriously, and I think well, I mean, we'll the first second, you know, first second is is has done a great job of that. Absolutely. Um, where do you stand on DC superhero girls? Which you I mean Warner Brothers really fucking got behind? Uh, you know. I have to say that uh, as someone who put on DC Superhero Girls for um, uh, my nieces the last time that they were over here, uh, how do I put it? You didn't like it. I, I didn't. It's not that I didn't like it. You know what it was? It was cheap. Like, maybe there's, like, some version of, like, oh, that was... It didn't, it, that didn't actually feel like they put a lot behind it. You know, those, well, those were 60 second featurettes, you well, know, maybe and, two and minutes. The, and the DVD movie. And no, the, the toys, DVD, sure. And the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the toys and the, the comic, you know, I mean, there was like the toys, the graphic novel. They're talking about doing another graphic novel, but the fact is they, DC acted like they did a lot with that and I'm sure it did. Again, by the standards of the direct market, I thought I thought that it was actually pretty goddamn paltry. That that compared Wait, so to what did you want them to do? Uh, I think that when your main source of marketing is like YouTube featurettes, that like maybe you can put more than two minutes of time into that featurette. Like I saw literally more animation and longer animation from a free goddamn Angry Birds game that I downloaded because it was like a, a giveaway via Starbucks on my app, right? Like, those guys, they knew what they wanted. They wanted to break into that marketplace. They took their video game. They wanted their merchandise. And one of the things that they did, I didn't like those cartoons, but there were a lot of them and they were they were kind of longish like dc's dc's stuff was pretty chump change i think it's great I, I, it's a great step in the right direction i'm glad it's successful cuz it will do more but i have to say when i was showing it to my nieces i was kind of embarrassed that that it was by most other like oh here's a cartoon that is propping up a toy line it was pretty you weren't going to mistake it for GI Joe anytime soon. Is what I'm <laughs> well, sure, but hmm. okay. You know what I mean? I'm I'm not saying no, I, that it was. No, you know. I'm just like I. I think what they've done is actually for a standalone line. Is because they've done according to Wikipedia, they have done two movies, twenty three episodes, uh, of the YouTube things. Three novels, two graphic novels, mm -hmm. plus all the merch and the toys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, that seems pretty good for something that's less than a year old. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't even know if I, I guess that movie's original. When I was looking at it, when it was for sale on iTunes, and I was thinking about it, I honestly couldn't tell if it was an original movie or just a compilation of all the YouTube shit. Apparently, there's an original movie. There's an additional special that was on TV. Plus, there's the 23 shorts. Okay. And they're so all different things. That's fabulous. That is that is great. I, I've only dipped my toe into one angle of it, and I have to say that I thought that it was pretty weak. But, but 
a bit, does this count? Like, is this what you'd want to see? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I, I want to see. I want to see something stronger. Cause, honestly, cause, you, know, yeah. you, were, you were saying basically like Marvel is not good at advertising their stuff. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, is this is DC Superhero Girls the level of getting behind an idea? Uh, I think it's still also kind of weak, but hopefully it will continue. So, to get so there. what is what do you want? Like, what is your definition of getting behind an idea? Then, well, I have to say, Graham. Like I said, I didn't see all the other stuff that was supposedly out there, but uh, I mean, supposedly that's out there. But I have to say, <laughs> having watched like, like it is out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, because I mean, I think that's the I think that's the other thing is is like I feel like. I've kept my eye open for it, but I haven't really come across it. I made it a point to watch those featurettes. I made it through about nine of them, and I I really did think that they were significantly weak sauce. I I really do. Part of me is like, sure. I'm meaning beyond the quality argument, Jeff. Well, I I don't know what I don't know what I'm telling. It's not like it's not like they were poorly written. It was the fact that they didn't put any money into them. I mean, they didn't put very much money into them. I'm sure by you know if they were to show me the line item budget, I'd be like, oh okay, yeah, that's you put two hundred and eighty thousand dollars into this. That's that's a pretty significant chunk of change you know, uh, compared to what you were spending previously, which was zero. I'm just saying to me, I think it's great. They just, they, hopefully they will do more. And by more, I mean, I don't think that a two minute short where 45 seconds of it is the opening credits and the closing credits is really that impressive. I really don't like that was, and I know these things happen behind the scenes. I'm sure the, as someone who actually got to work on something, you know, and get paid for it, it was like, yeah, that whole video game series that where there were supposed to be, you know, new entries every month and, and everyone just about died having that happen. And we're like, okay, we're not doing that again. You know, it's episodic content is hard and they turned it around on, I'm sure everyone worked very hard and it was a really breakneck process, but there's also part of my thing of like, I guarantee you that what they spent on DC superhero, superhero girls, the stuff that I experienced was about as much money as they paid Ben Affleck's personal trainer for Batman V Superman, you know? And I'm like, that's, that is what it is. They were also like, we're going to make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars off of this and and god help us we have to make sure that ben affleck doesn't eat a fucking carb but you know but at the same time i'm like i don't think that i think the dc's dc hero supergirls whatever the fuck it's called now i i thought that it was it was only impressive from like the debate standards of of the of the medium I really do. I don't think celebrating it is, is anything. Like, maybe I'll pick up those graphic novels and I'll be like, oh, hey, these are great. These are amazing. But, um, yeah, I, you know, that's, I mean, that was the other thing is, is like, we had the DC, uh, free comic book day copy that I picked up for those girls and they were like, oh, it's great. And it was like that. And then it went on to the graphic novel, which I don't even think was out yet, you know? No, the graphic novel came out like a month. Like go two yeah. months ago, right? So part of me was just like, well, that that kills that, you know. I mean, it didn't kill it, of course. I could turn around and get it for them for for Christmas or whatever, and I'm sure they'll be very excited. But but I just I had that thing like, look at the stuff that DC's doing now, where they're kind of like, hey, look how receptive we are. We've got two Supergirl series, you know. After the show was only on a year, you know, is 
it's I I still don't I I think I think the only thing worse than the lack of synergy there is when they do try and actually do their synergy. So clearly I'm not necessarily the, the right person to ask. But yeah, my experience of them was that I was really glad that I was showing them to young children who did not have standards, you know? <laughs> Oh, God. Moving back to an earlier question, then. Indeed. Graham, let me ask you, because Maxie B. wants to know, how startled are you that Levitz's Dr. Fate is the last remaining DCU title and still kicking at that? Points of clarification, Maxie. It's just been cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, when he asked this, yeah, which was two months also, ago... It's not the last remaining one. Oh, really? Uh, Earth 2 Society is still going as well. Oh. Uh, and in fact, I think that is out, outlasting Dr. Fate. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Fate, you saw that Dr. Fate's last issue is Levitz and Brendan McCarthy, right? No, no, yes. I did not see that. That's going to be a strange-ass comic. Um, it's it's actually pretty good. I have to admit, I, I, I read the first issue and then did not read any further, but I got the the trade at the library, and it's actually... A, 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 a serviceable story and saved in large part by Sonny Lou's art. It, it's it's much charm much more charming because of Sonny Lou. Um, so I'm not I'm not that startled really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm more startled that Earth Two is outlasting it. Yeah, but wasn't Earth Two? I don't know. I guess maybe both of these were either were these really DCU titles or were they folded no, into they were, DCU. The, no, no, no. Or, uh, Dr. Fate especially was a DCU title. Oh, okay. Like, both of them were launched under DCU, put it that way. But Dr. Fate was... Do you remember? It was... Uh, uh, God, what's his name? Khalid... I can't remember his last name. Uh, the, the new Dr. Fate was one of their, like, you know, hey, it's not white guys anymore. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. It's it's It was very clearly a DCU title. Mm. Um, it's also noticeable that when it finishes, Dr. Fate is going to show up in Blue Beetle. And for all we know, it's probably going to be Kent Nelson again. Right. So. Well, we'll or maybe see. not. Who knows? You know, maybe they'll Kent be Nelson. doing something Kent something Nelson. analogous, right? With Blue Beetle. Yeah, well, well, Kent is also back in the Dr. Fate series right now. So they, they might be going for something analogous. Right. Hmm. Uh, so I'm not that startled, to be honest. Are you, Jeff? Uh, I was actually startled that, that there was a Dr. Fate title being written by Paul Levitz. <laughs> I'll be honest. I really was. I was like, DCU. I'm like, there was that book that everyone told me I should like and I didn't like. There was the book that I did like that I forgot to buy all the issues of. And Wait, now that I find out that this... you should have liked that you didn't like? Oh, you don't remember? Because I've talked about it, Graham. Uh, you'll have to tell me again because I've really forgotten. Black Canary. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there's the book that, that I did like that I was like, oh, I should pick up more issues on. Oh, I'll wait until it goes on sale. Now it's like its final story is being p- published in TV Guide or something like that. So, you know. I that book. You, can, you know what t- title I'm talking about. That's Prez. That totally describes oh, Prez. Oh, no, no, no. The final issue is being published. The final story is being published in a fucking Catwoman one shot. See, Graham, you just don't understand my shorthand is the problem. That's, that, that is the same thing. That is the same thing now. I, I actually, I'm sure. Is the new code name for Catwoman. That's right. 
<laughs> wow. Hmm. The possibilities. Uh, should we move on to Jeffrey Brown's question? Yeah. Or uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts about the recent Suicide Squad movie compared to Stranger's Run on the comics post-crisis? <laughs> now, here's the question. A, have you seen Suicide Squad? No. Uh, B, did you read the Stranger Run or the uh, the recent Suicide Squad comics? Uh, I've read I've read the two. Well, I've read some of the recent read- Suicide Squad comics. I think, as you as you know, because I, I screenshotted them. Yeah, uh, the yeah, yeah. Ostrander's stuff I read at the time. I have not read recently. I actually have an enormous chunk of those digitally that I'm I'm looking forward to sit down and watch. And uh, no, in fact, I really had that horrible like moment of like oh like um. I don't remember when it was. It was like last Saturday or Sunday. I think it was Sunday. We ended up with like some time to spare. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to the Alamo draft house and I'm going to watch a movie. And I turned around and I, I was like, I heard good things about this. Don't breathe movie. And I kind of had fun when I was up in Portland watching a movie. Ah, Graham, what do you know? You want, you like suicide squad, which anyway, so I went down and sat there. I was in the movie theater. I'm like, Oh shit. Like I could have, I could have bought it. Like suicide squad is playing. In this movie theater at this time, I literally could have bought a ticket for it, and I had, and I tweeted that, and the response from I'm sure it was like, was looking, no, you you made the right choice. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. Um, I, I, as I said, I enjoyed Suicide Squad, but I don't think I'd tell anyone it was a good movie, right? Which I think is fair. Uh, I'm glad that you dug it, and part of me is like, I've been meaning to see it. I, I you wouldn't like it, Jeff. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I think I think it will just frustrate you. Really? Why do you think that? I think everything that I liked about it, which essentially falls under guilty pleasure, and in many cases guilty pleasure because I love the Astrander run so much, mm-hmm. will just frustrate you. I think you'll I think you'll find it an ugly and incoherent movie. But to be honest, it's an ugly and incoherent movie. You would not be wrong mm-hmm. in finding that. But I think that I just I think it's so not for you. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think that it would just upset you. See where, which I think is funny because I feel like I'm more in touch with my my guilty pleasures. I'm more pro ugly yeah, movie I, than you are, but and I, I also but like I the Ostrander run. But I don't think it's a your flavor of guilty pleasure, and uh-huh. I don't think the ugly is your flavor of ugly. Interesting. Okay. I, I just think it's, I think it's something that is very not your aesthetic, mm-hmm. and I think its many failings are of such a scale. That you will be so more upset with those than you are, like you you enjoy the guilty pleasures. I see. Now, what do you think of the movie compared to Ostrander's a run on the comics post crisis? And is there a link there? Since I don't remember those. Oh issues yes! Enough, so. Holy fucking shit! They lift the shit left, right, and center. Ah. Uh, they lift the. <laughs> they lift the spoilers, everyone. Captain Boomerang gets a Slipknot blown up joke, which is how, like, very, very small scale they go in the lifting. Uh, they, they lift, like, that exact joke. The it's funny seeing lots of people go, this, this, like, the villains make no sense because the Enchantress's brother is actually uh, the Incubus mm-hmm. is, in the movie, comes from the Astrander comic. Hmm. Like, it's, it's a one-issue, like, thrown-away reference. Mm-hmm. But it's in the Ostrander comic. Wow, that's pretty um, awesome. The uh, Rick and Enchantress 
romance obviously isn't in the, uh, the comic, but it is heavily influenced by the Rick and Karen romance in the comic. Mm. Um, there's, it's, 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 it is an, an amazing amount of fan service in that film. It's fan service of such a very particular, like you have to clearly have read exactly the same comics as them. Mm-hmm. To appreciate it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not, you know, Hey, Iron Man's an alcoholic. It's, you know, do you remember Suicide Squad issue 25, page four? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's that, or do you remember that one Alex Ross cover to Batman colon Harley Quinn issue one from 1999? We've recreated that for you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the Deadshot miniseries? There's this one scene in there. Right. That we're making a reference to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mean the Ostrander? Deadshot miniseries, yes, not the yes. Christos Gage yeah, Deadshot yeah, miniseries. Um, what's really interesting to me is uh, I saw the movie and it it pretty much made me go, oh, I want to reread all these comics. And I had I really liked the Strander run mm-hmm. a lot, and like it even more rereading it after mm-hmm. the movie. But what was really interesting to me is how amazingly tonally different the movie is from the comics. Mm-hmm. For something, the comics. I mean, the movie really does lift shamelessly from the comics, but seems to have gone, oh, but, f- but fuck the tone. Mm-hmm. Fuck the tone of the comics. No, we'd rather do this, like, day over-the-top shit. Mm-hmm. Because the Strander comic is is anything but that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Strander comic it fits, ironically, much more with the realism of, less realism in quotes, because there's nothing real about it, uh, but the tone of Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it that's much more in keeping, tonal keeping with the, the Strander comics than, than the Suicide Squad movie. Um, I'm secretly hoping that if they make a sequel to Suicide Squad, which, eh, let's face it, is probably unlikely, they bring in the Jihad as the, the villains. Oh, that would be great. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised that it wasn't the Jihad, but, you know, but that's fine. I, I, I don't know well, if it, I don't know if it's that unlikely. Like, the weird thing is, is that... Uh, it's it's going to, don't get me wrong it's going to make a profit but it's going to make a tiny profit well so unless, unless DC are like hey we didn't actually take a bath in this movie you guys well but this is the summer for which that is is should be considered a huge triumph like Suicide Squad for a movie that is barely going to eke out a profit was the number one movie three weeks in a row. That's yeah, not that's, something that's that... There was a crazily weak August. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Sure, there was a crazily weak August, but it's it's still the number one movie. Like, sure, let's put it, let's... And, I, and I'm sure everyone at Warner's and DC is very happy about that. Mm-hmm. But it is literally barely going to make a profit. Don't get me wrong, that's still great when you compare it to like Ghostbusters, which is going right. to make a staggering loss. Yeah. But Sony has also decided they're not doing the Ghostbusters sequel. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is the weird thing where I'm like, you know, come on, suck it up, movie studios. Like, if we had that thinking, we never would have gotten five Planet of the Apes movies. Those movies were profitable. What did you do the next time? You cut the budget. Like, if there had been one more Planet of the Apes movie after Battle of the Planet of the Apes, it would have been like two guys dressed as apes, one guy sort of dressed as a mutant because he's wearing like a leisure suit and has like Paul Williams' haircut, and they would have been slugging it out on like a playground swing set, and we would have loved it back then, is what I'm saying. <laughs> so you what you're know saying what I mean? is next Ghostbusters film have two Ghostbusters. 
cut the team in half. I, I, I don't they, they, believe they go, me. I they, could be wrong, like, but it can be called Blair Witch style. Yeah, honestly, sure, do that. Honestly, a Blair Witch Ghostbusters would probably be hilarious. It would be that would be funny. You can get yeah. They could cut Melissa McCarthy, who clearly was the expensive one. You know, have her like <laughs> phone in something also, at I, the beginning. Yeah, let let's be honest. It, they could honestly do the film with Leslie Jones and uh, Kate McKinnon. Yeah, and everyone would be happy. Everyone would be. That's what I'm saying. It's a win-win. Like Sony's like, okay, if they're gonna be if they're gonna be cowards, let them be cowards. But I'm saying for Suicide Squad, depending on what kind of things that you um you know who you're paying for what, like it may not be in their best interest to to bring all of the team back, you know. Well, I, I think the rumored follow-up is the way to go, which is just fucking spin it off into a Harlequin movie. Because mm. that's, she's the character that people like from the film. Yeah, sure. I mean, part of me is like, uh... And the cliffhanger is the fucking Harlequin cliffhanger. I didn't know there was a cliffhanger. Uh, uh, do you want me to spoil it for you or not? Sure, crime. You already did already, now that I know about the Incubus. That was out there. I'm kidding. I'm, I didn't know that. That's news to me. Okay, anyway, keep going. <laughs> I won't spoil it for everyone. The film has been out for like a month. Never mind. Oh, that is so funny. Um, yeah, it's like <laughs> fucking psycho. Oh, a whole month. What is wrong with us? It's totally gotten to that. It really has. Like when I went, I don't remember what the movie that I saw. Oh, when we saw like fucking Star Trek Beyond. I was like, I still haven't seen Star Trek Beyond, so don't say anything. I've probably seen it. There you go. Oh, Graham, it's it's been out six weeks. Come on. Oh, I, I'm really happy that I've not been spoiled on it. But uh, do you not remember like when Star Wars came out last year? Mm-hmm. The, you know, it was like a week and everyone was like, okay, and this is what happens right. in Star exactly. Wars. Exactly. Like, I was like, you cocks. I saw it. I saw it in 10 days because I had to because there was no way I could actually be on the goddamn Internet. Yeah. yeah, no, it's that thing. I went and saw this Star Trek movie and it was, I really had that thing of like, oh my God, thank God I saw this while it was still in the first run theaters. It had been like a month, just a month. And I already was like, oh, shoo, boy, I can't believe how late to this party I am. People are insane. People are just lunatics about this. And I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily helping the film marketplace considering this summer has been like such a massive tankathon. But yeah, no, I I think that Harley Quinn is what you do after the second Suicide Squad movie flops, and just to be you know keep keep yourself on the safe side, you give her at least a significant cameo in the Batman movie, you know, well, so you can the, get that set up. The rumor is, and this is not spoiling anything because this was out there before the Suicide Squad opened. Mm-hmm. The rumor is that um, there's going to be like essentially Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey movie. Huh. Interesting. That's Margot Robbie and uh, other female DC leads mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, spinning out of Suicide Squad. Huh. So we'll see. Uh, let's move on to Jeffrey's other question because I just realized we've been talking for an hour and we've literally tackled two and a half questions. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on DC's young animal titles? Doom Patrol, Shades, Cape Carson. And uh, Mother Panic. Don't forget Mother Panic. I want to read them. I can- I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I read them. And I really like them to varying degrees. There you go. I can say, actually, I don't know what I can say. Hmm. Uh, I like them. I'll leave it at that. There I we go. What I can say. Um, Comic Cruncher, we've uh, already answered. 
Yes. Paul R. Jassy or Jassel. Jassel? Yeah, I don't know. I'm really having trouble with this name. Sorry, Paul. Uh, one, I recently reread Howard Chicken's American Flag. I was struck by how innovative and influential it really was. There's definitely more than a little Chicken in Tom Scioli's Transformers vs. J. Joe than I noticed at first. Why don't you think it's more regularly recognized or cited along with Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen as a seminal 1980s comic? Because uh, of shit birds like me who still haven't read it. You know? uh, honestly, because it's not a superhero property, and because it essentially was out of print for thirty years. Yeah, I and, think that's and true. also also it's worth noting that uh, something else that really works against it is Chicken leaves after like a year, mm-hmm. and then the quality, like even before Chicken leaves, the quality dips dramatically. Mm-hmm. But when Chicken leaves, the quality dips. It's like it, it killed its own buzz, right? Which is a shame because like the first like six to eight issues mm-hmm. are fucking spectacular. Mm-hmm. are really good. It's interesting that you put it with um, Dyke Knight Returns and Watchmen because weirdly enough I would put it with uh, what Simonson was doing in Thor at the time. Hmm. Seems very much of a piece with that for me. How so? Uh, graphically. Oh, I see. The way that Chaikin uh, is designing the page and especially the way he's incorporating lettering and sound effects. I was about to say, it's is it, it Workman is, on Simonson and it's Bruzniak in uh, it's, America Flag? It, exactly. It's, yeah, it's Workman okay. and, and Simonson and then Bruzniak on uh, Flag. Uh-huh. Um, but it's it's the first like few issues are just great and look amazing and feel uh, both of their time because the 1980s was a big time of like, hey, media satire. And in that case, it really does uh, presage uh, both Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. I, I was about to say, it's very hard to imagine Dark Knight Returns without Amer- the, even the little that I've seen of American Flag. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, but it also like I because I always think about that in terms of like things like Max Headroom mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, the... There was a burgeoning, maybe the media's bad for us, mm-hmm. you know, realization in fiction at the time. Right. That I think feels very 1980s. But also, it still feels very fresh. Like, American Flag still feels very flesh, fresh today. Mm-hmm. The first issues. Which I, speaks to how good it is. What's interesting as well is, did you read Give Me Liberty? Uh, I read the... First issue, maybe second issue of it. I've never made it all the way through. If, be- if, you read, if you read American Flag and then you read Give Me Liberty, you're like, oh, so M- Miller was literally just like, he just read American Flag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which it, it, it's, why is it not more regularly recognized? Because, honestly, because it was out of print and it killed its own buzz, I think. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a good reason. I suppose it was out of print for a long time, but I also do feel that Chaikin is kind of, is a divisive figure not 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 sorry not capital D divisive. I mean that he's 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 an acquired taste I think for some and some people are really into him. I've always run more cold on him than hot. I I, I would say I do the same, but I still think American Flag's amazing. Yeah, no, which I which I totally get. But I but I also think that again it's kind of a he he's never maybe at one point he will, but it's it's not kind of like. Um, Kirby, where it's like the majority of people say, like, oh, my God, he's a genius. And there's a significant number of people who are like, I kind of don't get it. You know what I mean? It's I, I feel like it's a, a little currently still flopped a little bit the other way. You know, mm-hmm. and I think there is something to be said for the fact that Chaikin's 
doesn't really have an easily collectible complete thing unto itself, you know, apart from Black Kiss, you know, that, that you can really turn around and, and present. Like I, I, I say that having never read like say Times Square, which I know I thought was supposed to be part of a larger thing and very well could, could have been completely. I, and honestly, I think that American flag could be that thing. Mm-hmm. In, in the, in, in the sense of it is self-contained or, or it, in, in the, the sense that I think it's like his, I think there's an argument to be made that American flag is chicken's seminal work. Oh, I think so too. I, no, I, I think, think it is, but I don't think it sounds like it doesn't read like a complete thing unto itself. You know what I mean? Does, do you, when yeah, you get to the yeah, end of it, I, you're I, like, I think, yeah, yeah, it depends. If, cause Dynamite put out two trades of it, uh, right. just a couple of years ago. Right. And honestly, if they had stopped two issues earlier, mm-hmm. it would have felt like a complete book. Oh, interesting. Uh, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they were like, let's get all the chicken in. And right. like chicken basically is like, okay, I've done that story. I'll do a new story. And you're like, oh, no, don't. Right. You should have like, you should have just made like one bigger book mm-hmm. and not included the last few issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, question number two. Yeah. Given the success of DCU properties on TV, including vertical stuff like iZombie and Preacher, as well as the current popularity of weird shows like Stranger Things, which I finally saw the first couple of episodes of today, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you two cast and pitch a Doom Patrol TV series? Jeff? You know, it's so funny because um, I, I – sometimes – What's that? Is your answer I wouldn't? I, yeah, I, no, I mean, I, that, that was kind of my response, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think, I think that depending on the nature of what you have to change in order to make it work, I think there is a way that you can make that work. But I feel like, you know, it, you start getting into realms of, how do you make the changes that you make and why do you make them? And, and in the past when I've done that, Gramps just yelled at me. So I, I don't even necessarily know. I don't, I, when I saw this, I kind of had a little bit of a either a, yeah, I wouldn't, or B. I mean, uh, I, I sort of like the way that Paul's question sort of leads things a little bit in a way. Cause I, I do think that there's a lot to be said for, I, I think that Morrison's, uh, dynamic in in his run for example has kind of a nice like he's got his support he's got supporting characters Mm -hmm. you know as well as the main characters the the weirdness sort of scales up and by the end of it you find that there is sort of a a a long game that's been running an overarching theme yeah. yeah which is which is fantastic and in a way part of my reluctance to kind of touch that is that idea of TV would like burn through that in the first 18 months and then figure out, and then who knows where it would go after that, you know, like I, whereas my, my thing is I, like you, I immediately went to the Morrison run. Mm -hmm. Um, but for me that works so well because it's a comic Mm -hmm. that I, I can't actually imagine a way of transferring it to television or movies for that matter. Right. Um, without losing an essential part of the flavor to it Mm -hmm. because Doom Patrol for me was a particularly literary comic. Mm. It had the word games, it had the narration, it had the formal play right. that took advantage of the fact that you were reading it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you realize the characters are basically talking in acronyms or anagrams. Right. 
Yeah, but I, but there are ways to – let's put it this way. I'm like, if Brian Fuller wants to tackle that, I think that that would be great. Like, I figure that there are those people who can come up with a way to, to essentially come up with cinematic analogs to that same sort of action. Sure, I yeah. Suppose. But, but, but I suppose. But then my brain goes to – but just do that with a different, like do that with an original property. I don't know if we've actually talked about this, Graham. But do you have like a little like dream DC TV show? You know, like like oh, if only they turned X into a property. I feel this is something that we've probably discussed, but uh, no. I I have to say the one that I always think would work would be Challengers of the Unknown. You know, I always yeah, feel that I can totally see that it's got such a clean hook. Yeah, it's a nice clean hook. It's a clean hook that actually you can like dial up or dial down yeah. the amount of you weirdness. You can take from. as fantastic as you want. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you can also leave it even somewhat quote unquote normal. So I always, I challengers is always one of those that I'm like, I'm stunned that it just has not been touched for other in other media that way but uh, it's also funny because challengers theoretically would make a great tv pilot because you could play off the lost angle mm -hmm. of the plane and the survivors yeah yeah yeah, right exactly exactly and there which you think would just make it like such an obvious Mm -hmm. pilot and then you just take in a complete like you then turn it into the x-files right you, right, you turn it into the X-Files, but then you also have some of the longer underarching mystery behind it, mythology, and no, I think I think that would work really cleanly. Uh, uh, I, I think I've told you this before. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I always want to see someone reboot the Millennium theme without the Millenniumness of it. <laughs> I love the idea of the secret society who are trying to stop something that is happening. Mm. Uh, and the and that the thing happens in part because of their actions, right, right. And so you have two. You basically have two conspiracy theories happening at the same time mm -hmm. because you have regular people evolving into this higher power mm -hmm. outside of their control, and you have a secret society who are trying to stop it. Hmm. And that seems like a, again a hook you can do something with. Right. Never mind the like they're manhunters, and by the way, there's the fucking guardians of the universe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like just the central idea of Millennium. Right. That central so clean it's my, again. It's, it's kind of a clean hook. Yeah. 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 I you know a a comic that uh, I like the idea behind, and and yet I dislike the comic. Like I thought it was pretty weak sauce that ran for an impressively long time uh, for Vertigo that I actually thought I was kind of shocked. I like, I thought it would have been a perfect show for the people who wanted to try and come up with the next uh, breaking bad was uh, the exterminators. You know, do you remember? I remember, I remember the exterminator. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> um, yeah. That did go on for a while. Didn't it? it did. It did. And I, I, I thought you were going to say house of mystery for a second. Or House of Secrets. What one was the, the Steven Seagal book? I, I, I think it was, I want to say it was House of Secrets, but I could be wrong. I usually am. Because that, that's one that I didn't actually actively follow for whatever. Steven Seagal never, he did the opposite of frying my burger. Uh, I, I just did not, 
I didn't take to any of his stuff except even the Superman book. I only kind of half-heartedly, I was like, I was not a big fan of the Superman book either. Yeah. You know, so his stuff just never caught for me. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of a good answer to Paul. I'm trying to think of actually a way of answering Paul's question. Who would play Robot Man at least? Let's go with Robot Man being the one character we would cast. Ah, see, this is it. I, 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 I'm always so. I mean, ah, it, it's, it's one of those deals where I'm just not. Uh, I don't know. Like I've got, I'm like, he would have to be a guy who's like really avuncular, you know. Sounds a little kind of streetwise, of course. See, kind of that I, I was so like thing. Ron Perlman. Yeah, see, whereas I was like, I think Ron Perlman, and that he'd probably be right, it'd be, but I, I'd kind of want to do someone that would be just a little bit different. But this is the thing. I don't watch enough Law and Order episodes to actually, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I don't like, know. like after, after saying I just watched Stranger Things, the first couple of episodes, mm-hmm. uh, is it David Barber, the guy who plays the show? Oh, sheriff? yeah, he's fucking great. Oh, my God. I him be Robot Man. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could, he could definitely pull that off. I have to say, um, yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, that's it. There, there are guys like, I don't know, like that guy who, the guy who uh, freaking played the blind dude in Stephen Lang, who uh, in, um, in Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe. He, he was, he was great. He really was. And I mean, he's, he's someone who's going to be doing avatars two through four. Oh Jeff. God. I'm, he's done it. He's, he's done them. I don't doubt that that footage was done long ago, that whatever's no, they're, happening they're, with that. No, stuff. they're shooting. They're, they're st- oh, Jeff, Jesus. They're still Have they still it. not started? Jesus Christ. They're still fucking writing them, Jeff. Oh my God. What the fuck has Jim Cameron been doing? I mean, I know that Lights he's been doing them. a lot. That's crazy. That, that, there's a, you don't listen to the Nerd Writers uh, panel podcast. No. But Josh Friedman, who is a regular guest on that, uh, has talked about the fact that he's basically been in the writing room for those movies for like three years. Good shit. He's had lots of other jobs. Like sure. other things have been going on. It's, that's right. not all he's been doing. But basically, the writer's room has just taken that long. Wow. I've seen, uh, I did the Avatar DVD junket whenever the DVD came out. Mm-hmm. And part of that was basically you meet Jim Cameron and you see all the research he's done into the, like world building. Mm-hmm. I fully believe that Jim Cameron has basically just been world building this entire time. And the poor writers are like, Jim, come on, we've got to actually make a film now. And he's like, but if you think about the plants, yeah. because it went amazingly in depth, like terrifyingly in depth. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, that was one of the best parts of, of Avatar was looking at how much of the stuff that he, he kind of put together there. But it yeah, was staggering when he did that junket. It really was like, you, this is far too much work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have done far too much work. Okay, let's move on. Brendan yes. Ayer. Hey, uh, Brendan. Uh, two questions. There's a lot to hate about superhero comics. What do you enjoy about the new ones coming out? Hating them. And you, Graham? No, I'm kidding. I, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying a lot of the DC uh, Rebirth books. Yeah. Uh, um, I, what do I enjoy about them? I enjoy... I'm, one of the things I do enjoy, and this touches on what we were saying earlier on, I do enjoy the pace of them right now. Mm-hmm. I do think they are faster reads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's good. I think I've survived the early 2000s. Let's make superhero comics feel really slow. Mm-hmm. Which which is not really appealing to me. Um, I enjoy the optimism when they 
the, the superhero comics, for the most part, that I respond to are generally optimistic, are generally aware of their ridiculousness, but do not, but are not self-conscious about it. Um, and are generally inventive in some form about the superpowers involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the things I'm really, and I actually kind of surprised I'm enjoying so much is, uh, Josh Williamson's flash run mm-hmm. in part because he's just given fucking everyone super uh, flash powers and seeing how everyone responds to essentially having the same powers is, is really interesting to me. Hmm. And also the space that puts uh, Barry Allen in is really interesting to me as well. Hmm. Um, what about you, Jeff? Well, you want to- I, uh, I actually am going to sort of co-sign part of that is that one of the things, and I meant to mention this earlier, but didn't really figure out the right way to squirrel it in. Uh, I have appreciated the idea that with the lowering of the prices for the DC books, I've been trying to experiment a little more, but I've been experimenting by actually signing up for the books uh, on Comixology, like subscribing to them. So there was something kind of fun about like, oh, hey, it's, you know, it's like I've got a couple of issues of Batgirl and Suicide Squad and uh, Deathstroke. I actually really liked both issues of, of Deathstroke that I read. I still haven't read either. DC Semi-Quotes and I haven't read either yet. Really? Interesting. You know, I uh, I think that there is a lot to be said to sort of mirror what what you're saying Graham is is that um is that I appreciate that it seems like tone is very different at both Marvel and DC than it used to be like there's something that's a little more like there's still a tendency I think probably towards you know grim and gritty stuff that I've mostly been avoiding slash ignoring but yeah i really you know the one of the marvel books that i'm i'm most enslaved to is squirrel girl which is yeah which is yeah and as arguably my favorite superhero comic right now yeah so large part because it is so upbeat and optimistic yeah it's upbeat and optimistic and it sort of it also strikes that really fun little tone i i think that there was a period where uh where Marvel in particular, although I appreciated its attempt to disconnect itself, like the, the, the early the, 2000s. Yeah, the early 2000s, you didn't have the connected storylines. What also bothered me was there was kind of a, um, almost a blatant ignorance or a measured disregard for continuity. And I, I actually like that more of the books, even the ones that, even like Squirrel Girl, which is very irreverent, clearly has a lot of fondness for Marvel universe and throws a lot of characters in, you know, in there or, you know, just Deadpool's little set of trading cards. Uh, you know, I, I don't like, like I, I might've mentioned the Marvel collector core for thing for Spider-Man came in. So I got the issue 17, I think of amazing Spider-Man, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the issues. Oh no, wait, 17, I think is the one that just came out. So maybe it was 16. Basically it's right on the cusp of the dead, no more stuff. And I did not like it in lots of ways, but I also kind of appreciated the fact that, 
slot's got somewhere that he's going with it. I, I feel like a lot of the books tend to have direction to them in a way that I think is, uh, I think it's laudable, even that I don't care about it. Um, so I think, I think that sort of stuff is fun. I think, I, I think the thing that I have the most difficulty with is, and I think that this is a shame is that, um, DC and Marvel, because of, because of the nature of the beast, they, there aren't really new creations anymore. Like the closest you can get to a new creation is you can get new derivative creations. And so I had this really weird feeling recently of, um, uh, in, in, in plain Marvel future fight, they introduced the Gwenpool character where I'm like, oh man, but playing that character or seeing that character being played, I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. And then I started hearing good things about the book. I haven't turned around and picked stuff up. I just, you know, because it's in that weird zone where it hasn't shown, like there's one appearance on Marvel. Uh, Unlimited. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, I'll wait until it's actually probably on Marvel Unlimited and I can read it for free. Right. Pretty much. Or maybe I'll go crazy during this BOGO. We'll see. But, uh, you know, but I had this thing of like, oh, that or Spider Gwen, I'm I really have that weird feeling of like, is part of my appreciation for these characters? I mean, I know in a way that it it has a lot of like the chance to sort of, even if it's pretending at creating a female space for for characters and in the universe, I I appreciate that. But part of me is sort of like mm, these are, is my hunger for new characters only? going to be appeased by derivative characters and is that why i appreciate these i don't know. i am now very curious what you're going to make of mother panic yeah i guess i am too i suppose well um, you know the you know what mother panic is right no mother panic is the original character from the young animal line which is if you squint hard enough mm-hmm. a female batman mm-hmm. in that it is a socialite who is also a vigilante in Gotham. Hmm. But there's no... Like, it's not Batwoman, if you know what I mean. It, yeah. it's, it's There's no bad iconography. Right. It's literally taking the idea, what if there was a socialite who fought crime? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's both derivative and completely non-derivative. Mm-hmm. So I'm super curious what you're going to make of it. Yeah, I, I think that I think that would be great. Cause I mean, I, that's, that's the deal. I, I, as let's face it, Graham, I'm a lifelong comics fan. I don't need originality to survive, but you know, but there is at least a feeling of watching archetypes get, you know, um, rinsed and changed up and you do something differently with them rather than just kind of like, Oh, it's, you know, Wolverine, but now he's old or, oh, it's Spider-Man, but now it's an alternate Earth, you know, Gwen Stacy or something. It, it It's nice to actually break something in a way that makes it look like part of the zeitgeist, you know? Yeah, and it's also nice to, if you are going to do something with, uh, with an archetype, mm-hmm. actually doing something with the archetype. Yeah. Because it's Spider-Man, but it's Gwen Stacy is not doing anything interesting with the archetype. Because you're still telling Spider-Man stories. Like, yeah. for me, Gwenpool is more interesting because Gwenpool is not Deadpool or Gwen Stacy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Do you know that's what I mean? true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 
Whereas like Spider Gwen, not at all. Like Spider Gwen is 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 you're t- you're literally telling a Spider Man story. Uh, I mean, I guess not very well, I suppose. But sure, yeah, but you know, but yeah, no, I see, I see the mold that you're being that you're cutting out there. And it would be one thing I think if someone was like, oh, and I have something that I really want to say. Yeah, exactly. I have a reason for doing this as opposed to I have a copyright to right. You know, as as much as I sort of appreciate the things that, you know, that the Spider-Gwen team have tried to do, which I think honestly is just try to get a Spider-Gwen book going, I do think that it would it's far different from where someone is like, oh, I've got a really great idea about how uh, the Spider-Man motivation essentially only works if it's a teenage boy. And if it's a teenage girl, it becomes a totally different thing. And yet, we have yet to see that. You know, or at least, it, it, you know, I haven't read the Spider-Gwen annual where a few other people took a crack at the character or whatever. But anyway, so I think I think that's that's beside the point. I think there's a lot of fun stuff with superheroes. I feel more up about superheroes now um, than I have, I say, in in the last couple of years. I think that's kind of weird to say, but I feel like it's true. Um but yeah. No, but that that makes sense. I think mm-hmm. the, I think honestly there are more interesting interesting things happening. Uh, uh, the big two, which ultimately is what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, Brendan's second question leaves me somewhat like in the air. Uh, for Graham, what was your favorite interview? I that's so open. I don't know what to say. Um, uh, two come to mind: one mm-hmm. a comics one, one a non comics one. Uh, talking to Jeff Johns about Rebirth mm-hmm. was really good hmm. in large part because I'm f- traditionally for me you get 15 minutes to talk to someone mm-hmm. you know and it's literally promote this book mm-hmm. you know talk about this book and the Rebirth interview for many reasons not least of which it was rescheduled like four times mm-hmm. uh, and Jeff clearly felt really guilty about having to reschedule it Ended up being like an hour of conversation. Wow. That, that got really off topic at times. Mm-hmm. And those, those are the best conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, when you can just talk, um, and you, you get things that you don't necessarily expect to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, second answer is one that happened this week. Uh, I talked to DC Fontana this week. Oh, wow. I also talked to David Gerald. Mm-hmm. You told me these were coming, and I forgot. Yeah. Um, DC Montana was just charming as hell, mm-hmm. uh, and and the the aim of the like we achieved the aim of the interview, mm-hmm. right? Which was again like you know fifteen minutes, except we ran over, we went like half an hour, um, and it was specifically like you know I want this piece of information from you, but what made it so great is. Again, the conversation after that, mm-hmm. we're obviously talking about Star Trek. It's Star Trek's 50th anniversary next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, you know, what What was your favorite memory of working on Star Trek? Because, like, DC Fontana fucking was the story editor for two years. Yeah. She wrote some of the most famous episodes. She wrote the pilot for The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she worked on, like, The Next Generation for, like, 18 episodes. Um, and I was like, what's your favorite memory? Because she also... I should also add that, like, things went really bad with Roddenberry at the end, mm-hmm. famously, which is why she only worked in Next Generation for 18 episodes. Um, what's your, what's your favorite memory? 
And it was, I'm not going to say it is because I'm going to run it in the piece, but it was so not what I expected. Hmm. Uh, I mean, just not even slightly, so out of left field. <laughs> that was just like you giggling is, is, it was my reaction. It's like me saying, you know, it's like, say I was talking to, uh, I'm trying to think of like a really big name creator. Say I was talking to Frank Miller, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, what's it like working on, on Dark Knight Returns? And his response was something like, uh, you know, when I was working in this book, there's this time I got in the subway car and I saw this. Mm-hmm. Like it was that, it was that separated. Mm-hmm. From, from the, from the, from the subject at hand. That was just great. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was this moment of like, of transcending the, the PR-ness of the interview. Yeah. That's what that I was nice. really Lovely, like just little human moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that I really, I, I really liked and also just before that, she was just charming as hell. Like she was just remarkably, uh, candid and funny and just a really good interview. Um, I really, I did talk to Tom King and, and Mitch Gerard for the Sheriff of Babylon. Mm-hmm. And that was again, just a very funny interview. My favorite interviews are the funny interviews, mm-hmm. to be honest, when, when everyone seems to be having a good time. The worst interviews are when the person clearly doesn't want to be interviewed. Hmm. And I told you about the press round table for Nikita back when the Nikita TV show launched, which I is another funny one. Um, where Maggie Q clearly didn't want to be doing it, and so she decided that she was going to pick on me at the round table. Wow, really? You didn't tell by me this flirt, by flirting with me, uh-huh. <laughs> which just like threw me up entirely. And so instead of answering questions, which she didn't want to answer questions, she would basically be like, "I love his accent," <laughs> and it was like it just killed me. I was like, "I can't even fucking can't talk to you right now." <laughs> needs to talk to you because I am dying of embarrassment. That's hilarious. You did not tell me that story. Yeah, there you go. You can re- read Miguel Corti's uh, question. Oh, okay. I shall. Uh, Miguel Corti asks, and hey, Miguel, uh, question, why do comics creators, fans, critics, and journalists, on the internet at least, like Archie comics so much? I'm not talking about Afterlife with Archie or the new series by Mark Wade, but the traditional Archie comics featuring high school hijinks that have been the staple of the comics for decades. Archie comics always struck me as a four-color version of Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best. They were also the only comics that church people and teachers seemed to approve of, which made me all the more suspect of them. Since my life felt like growing up in an 80s version of Leave it to Beaver, Archie comics were the last comics I ever wanted to read, and subsequently, the only comics I never saved. I never bought them, always given them. I never enjoyed their cookie-cutter stories or their never-changing art style. I'd like to think this 21st century internet love for Archie comics is some ironic hipster thing, but it feels more sincere than that, or I'm bad at perceiving ironic interest. I don't want to denigrate anyone's interests. Maybe a bit too late, Miguel. But what am I missing? (laughs) Are those old-school or pre-reboot, if you will, Archie comics good by whatever definition you have for the word? After the years of accolades I've heard for Afterlife with Archie, I'm sorely tempted to check it out. 
out, especially since I like zombies, but then I remember how much I dislike Archie comics and that stays my hand. When I was a kid, I wasn't a Jack Kirby fan, but now I can really appreciate him and I rank him as one of my all-time favorite comics artists. Unfortunately, I can't reassess Archie comics favorably. Maybe I'm the only one or maybe no one wants to say anything against Archie comics in public. Let's start with, Jeff, do you like old Archie comics? Uh, you know, I think, I think there's a couple of things here to, to quote unquote unpack as it were. Um, answer the question. Well, no, no, no. Because I think, cause, <laughs> cause there's, there's two things that I really want to point out here, Miguel. And one thing I, that I think is more or less underlined in, uh, your last point is the fact that one of the things that can make this difficult is that Archie comics, um, a lot of them either ran with like no credits or I, I, you know, I think they were even slower to sort of pick up credits than, than otherwise. Uh, generally it just sort of seemed like the idea was to create generic product. I will say that I had much the same opinion about Archie comics until, and I think this is very important. And I think, and in fact may sort of explain some of the, reassessment of Archie comics that seems to have happened almost sub Rosa over, over a generation or so is for me, um, reading love and rockets, you know, which like I started with issue four or something like that. And it's seen advertisements in the comics journal. And so when I got to San Francisco, I think it was the first, like that was one of the first things I did was I went to a comic book store, picked up love and rocket stuff, loved it. And what's interesting is uh, both of the Hernandez brothers um, use have an appreciation for quote unquote cartooning, car, cartoony, cartooniness, I suppose. And you can really see the influence of, uh, particularly, I think Dan DiCarlo in Jaime Hernandez's work. Although I think there are some other Archie artists that I was not aware of um, that they've that they've dropped uh they've mentioned in conversations and things and i think at that point for me there was like a real linkage of like oh oh my god like somehow that was the lens in which i needed to see the archie stuff because it's it's not something as simple as saying like oh um you know jaime's love and rockets was basically doing for punkers in the 80s what archie comics must have been capturing for someone at some point but i think all of a sudden there was this idea of i appreciated there's something about being able to see pure cartooniness when it applies to your generation and the world around your window that you can suddenly for me anyway appreciate cartooniness i suppose and looking back at at the Archies, especially when you look at the stuff that Dan DiCarlo was doing, that stuff is incredibly robust cartooniness. Um, yeah. you know, and, and there's other weird stuff in there. I was, I honestly, I didn't read enough, uh, when I was a kid, the stuff that I remember thinking was pretty awesome were some of the little Archie comics, which were done by, uh, Bob Bowling, I think. Those were, pretty great as well. Uh, and some of those were because they were more, more cartoony, but they also just had a lot more heart, I guess. Um, so to answer your question, I came to an appreciation of Archie comics late. 
I don't think that it's uh, especially deep, but I can't, but it is sincere. It's not just lip service. Um, you know, even if I haven't really made it a point to like, okay, I'm going to sit there and dig in. So that's, that's my answer. Graham? Archie Comics, uh, I first interacted with, uh, when my sister got them, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I would go to the comic book store, or when my dad would go to the comic book store to pick stuff up for me when I'm like eight or nine, mm-hmm. uh, my sister would get Archie Comics. Mm-hmm. And so they have this weird nostalgia for me. Right. Uh, as I've grown older, the nostalgia and the, the, the attractive nostalgia of it has been underscored by the fact that there really is some great cartooning in there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, and I don't think it's ironic, but it, it definitely is arch. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, I, I do like their carniness. Like that's genuinely appealing to me mm-hmm. in the same way that I like the carniness of like fifties DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the carniness of old school Archie as well. I, I find something weirdly comforting about watching how they go through the motions of these stories. Right. And, 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 work on the joke you can see coming eight pages earlier mm-hmm. but seeing how they get there there's something really interesting to me about that yeah uh, i i i can't explain it it's mm-hmm. it's not like i'm like ah yeah i grew up in riverdale <laughs> but i well, have this weird nostalgia for it i sometimes wonder i always assumed that that it's always kind of the reverse, just as Miguel because, said. Because no one did grow up in Riverdale? Yeah, a little bit. Like, the, there's probably somebody who grew up in some really fucked up environments for whom the static nature of Archie Comics might have been deeply comforting. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think th- I think that it's shame. It was, it was certainly for a period, It you know, they tended to be the comics that, that girls would buy, <laughs> you know, and that had female characters that you could have Betty and Veronica be the leads in there that sort of lasted long after like, you know, the Lois Lane comic got canceled, even though I don't think that, you know, even though there's some really, at least at the surface, you know, there's a lot of kind of strange dodgy stuff to, to make your way through, I suppose, you know, in terms of, homogenous representation, I suppose, you know, but it's funny when you said dodgy stuff, I was immediately like, Oh, you've heard about Riverdale then. You, no, I mean, I, I've, I've heard about Riverdale cause you, you mentioned it. And I mean, I like, I, in that sense, I think that, I think that the Archie stuff is ready to be twisted in a way because the Archie stuff really did have a, you know, it, it is part of the type of thing that like David Lynch is riffing off of in yeah. Twin Peaks. And so it makes sense to return the favor. And honestly, again, what, what Roberto Aguirre Sacasa did with Afterlife with Archie was really, uh, clever. And God, the stuff with Sabrina is great too. I, you know, I think that, I think that once again, there's something, there's, there's that field just has not been plowed to death and so i think there's some there's you know the the field is somewhat fertile you can find some stuff there that you can do some interesting things in and again seeing the stuff that chips one one of the things i enjoy about chips zdarsky's jughead is his little introductory piece of a pre of other older weirder jughead stories and he's kind of like yeah check out this stuff 
A, it's weird, and B, he's kind of like, you know, look, you know, Jughead slips on a big barrel. That's hilarious, you know, and and there is something that's kind of, depending on how it's done, sometimes it is. So I don't, I don't know, you know, it's, I think that's going to be about as close as we can really come to an answer, and I think it's it's hard to take seriously. I, I, I'm, I doubt that I've persuaded Miguel, but, you know, but there it I, is. It, it also... To be honest, it depends what you're looking for in comics. Mm-hmm. Like Archie is a genuinely acquired taste. It's possible you'll never like Archie. Yeah, because I mean, that's just not a comic that, that's not a right. flavor of comic that appeals to you. Right. You're just never gonna like mayonnaise on white bread and it's gonna be like, but no, it's you got you put a little salt on there and yeah, no, it's just it doesn't it doesn't happen. So uh Graham McMillan <laughs> yes we have one two we've got we've got we, a few we, more we questions. can do it you're gonna pass through because, right. especially because i think we've actually kind of touched on ed's question already okay uh once you read it and then i'll, I'll see oh i see ed, where you're going ed corcoran the subscription-based all-you-can-consume model seems to be where most other media types and media companies are going spotify netflix etc comiXology or at least their amazon bosses seem convinced enough that it's the future of comics they created comiXology unlimited marvel unlimited seems to be doing well for marvel but what if they went all in on subscription and put all comics on there the day they were released they would probably still sell floppies and trades and might sell single digital issues too but what do you think would be the effect on what comics they publish, what comics they emphasize, etc., if Marvel Unlimited became the primary method by which Marvel distributed its comics? I'm just going to short-circuit this whole question by saying Marvel will never do that. Well, yeah, I know, never. but I, I, let's let's do a little bit of a man that's, in the that's, high that's castle. That's, I mean, I know that we can't spend perfect. a lot of time, but, you know? Um, I... You know what? I really have problems with even with doing that because I'm like, why would Marvel do that? Well, I, you know, I, I see. <laughs> like, I, my, my brain circuits. I'm like, I, I, because, because Marvel Unlimited does a different thing, right? Mm-hmm. Marvel no, is, yeah. is, is serving up the past as well as the future. And it doesn't make sense to me. To be like, well, how would it change Marvel? What comics people buy from Marvel? Because why would anyone buy comics from Marvel if you can get everything on a subscription basis? Uh, right. I, I, I you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tilt this a little bit differently because I, I think that we're already seeing stuff, Graham. It's, it's a shame that you're not a big fan of the old uh, digital trade. Uh, because, uh, as I, that, you know, the Defenders trade paperback that recently came out, what the, oh, I understand. Yeah, I almost bought that because that was, uh, that's a really weird era of Defenders too. It is. We were talking about it when we were talking about Defenders a couple of months ago. This thing is 19 issues of comics, and if you buy it through the half off digital, you know, through Amazon, it's, what thirteen dollars? Maybe it's twelve. Yeah, but, I don't remember but what it as is. you said, it's actually twelve fifty. Mm-hmm. So it, like, it was exactly between where you said. Um, but as you said on Twitter, it's going to show up Marvel Unlimited within the year, right? And I think this was this this was the introduction to to my point is is that what I think that we're seeing Ed, uh, I can't really um, emphasize this like 
it's not going to fully fit in into the context of what you're asking. But one of the things that I find fascinating when I was mentioning this on Twitter is, hey, Iron, I like Iron Fist. Iron Fist is a series that is going to be coming out on Netflix. Suddenly there's the epic collection of, of Iron Fist and boom, suddenly the Iron Fist comics are on Marvel Unlimited. Luke Cage is coming out soon on Netflix. There was, you know, a Marvel masterwork of those issues and boom, those are on Netflix. The Defender stuff, that Defender stuff will be on there even if it ends up being two months before the TV show debuts. They're going to push a lot of stuff on there. I think, I think you can see the ways in which, for me, Marvel Unlimited, uh, has things that it wants to emphasize and those things are usually when they start filling in the back issues of their collections, one of the things they seem to favor are, you know, a huge dump of Star Wars books, um, you know, and stuff that is... The, the media properties. The media properties. And I think I think that is going to be something that is going to hold true as as it as it moves forward and even if in some weirdo post-apocalyptic earth where the direct market crashes because marvel did something stupid and then it was like oh well we'll still have marvel unlimited and even imagining this scenario i think you would still get those that similar situation it it it, it would be oh hey good news we we're developing a Runaways TV show. Here are the Runaways comics. You know, here's here's the new do, Runaways do you, digital comic. Here's I, the I old. was going to ask, do you think that eventually Marvel would just go towards only creating comics based on the media properties? Uh, like, yeah. you know, you'd be getting uh, your Iron Man, your Captain Americas, because they're always out there. Mm-hmm. But then it would be like, okay, here's a new Runaways comic, and that's it. Or do you think they'd just be like, here's the Brian K. Vaughn stuff that you actually care about? We're not giving you the Terry Moore issues because really who cares about Terry Moore issues? No, I, I think that it's actually even more important for them to drop the Terry Moore issues in there because all of a sudden it looks like, uh, because if, if you have like, I don't know, 18 to 24, if you've got something that looks like a very achievable, librariable bit of runaways comics, you're like, Oh, I could probably figure out how to get those in the, through the library or whatever. But if there's that idea of like, oh my God, I can't wait to read up on Runaways. I hear it's like Stranger Things, but with superpowers, you know, you're like, oh, and there's 48 comics of them on this Marvel Unlimited thing and it's only like five bucks a month and we'll see what else that I'm interested in. I, 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 I think that I, you've, we've already seen Marvel do that when it was like flooding the, the bookstores with what book flooding the comic book stores with Captain America titles that were all going to be packaged up into disposable trade paperbacks. Yeah. I had the movies. Yeah. yeah. So I, I see Marvel still doing that. And I think that would, would actually be the, the effect to the, to the extent we have that situation. I feel like we're already seeing a variation of that in, in, on Marvel unlimited now. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. So, should we move on to Cass? Yes, let's move on to Cass. Because there's only two more questions, Jeff. Two more, or two more people asking questions. Two more people, yeah. We might right. be able to do this. Okay, go. Cass asks, recently I've been thinking a lot, as I often do, about Spider-Man. I tried reading some of the later Dan Slot stuff, post-renumbering, but I can't get on board because I can't recognize that character as Spider-Man. But then I started thinking... 
Who is the character of Spider-Man, really? When Cap 3 Civil War came out, everyone said, that's it, they finally got Spider-Man right. But Civil War's Spider-Man was in awe of the other heroes, whereas Stan and Steve's Spider-Man was mistrustful and even hostile toward other super types. The Tom Holland Spider-Man reminds me more of Bendis' goofy, generally good-natured ultimate Peter Parker. So I guess my questions are, I'll read these both off and then we can answer them. One, when people talk about classic teenage Superman, uh, Superman, Spider-Man, do you think they really have ultimate Spider-Man in mind? Two, what would you say are the essential characteristics of Spider-Man or any comic hero? What needs to be there in order for it to be Spider-Man? Is it just powers? Does the character have to have significant guilt? Anything else? Question mark. Um, uh, thinking around these issues led me to some interesting questions in terms of crediting and paying creators, but I think the question is long enough already. Okay, question one. When people talk about classic teenage Spider-Man, I don't think they're talking about Ultimate Spider-Man. I think they're talking about a Spider-Man that never really existed. Mm-hmm. I think people imagine their quote-unquote classic teenage Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I think it's something close to maybe the Lee Romita stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely not date to stuff at all, right? Uh, and I but I don't don't think it's a, a character that was ever published. To be honest with you, <laughs> I I or maybe he's appeared in like flashbacks, but I I don't think I don't think it's just Ultimate Spider Man. I think that people imagine because I think this is why people were like, oh yeah, they got Spider Man right in uh, Civil War because it was a uh, high school kid who was kind of nerdy. And had some one-liners. Mm-hmm. The end. And he had a costume that looked like John Romita. <laughs> the end. John Romita's, like, if John Romita's Spider-Man looked like an inflatable balloon. Boo, Graham McMillan. Boo. Yeah, oh, no, really. You didn't think that costume looked just a little too, like, weirdly rubbery? Not through my tears of joy, you heartless okay, bastard. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, okay, so yeah, go, go Jeff. Okay, I think that actually Graham, in his in his horrible misanthropic way, points out something that's that's a, a, a brilliant point. I think, which is that honestly, Spider-Man's got to have the wisecracks. I think that's really incredibly important, uh, and I think no one's ever been you know uh, dumb enough to really cut those out. Although I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they've. I I think that uh, definitely the the Sam Raimi films were not funny enough. No, they really weren't. They tried to get in there, but it wasn't One of the much. things I really liked about the first Andrew Garfield film was he had the wisecracks. Yeah, he had the wisecracks. He had the delivery. I mean, you know, it's I, I agree with you. Uh, and I think that was one of the things that was a little bit off, and that's part of why they're like, oh, at last. I, Andrew Garfield, I thought, was, you know, fine in sense that he's a good actor, but he really was too old. And so I think, again, people, the Tom Holland... That's- that's so funny because Tom Holland honestly seems so young to me. Well, I kind of get that because Tom Holland seems crazily young. He really does. But honestly, I, I was like, well, at least there's that. For me, The other thing for me is yeah. Spider-Man for me mm-hmm. is not in high school. That's interesting. That's Spider-Man interesting. is in college. Like, you know. It, it, yeah. Because my, Spider- my Spider-Man, when I started reading Spider-Man, he was also in college. And I, so I'll tell you something that I think makes a certain amount of sense to me, which is that someone could put the argument that one of the things that Spider-Man needs is the, the idea of becoming, you know, that you are, that he's in, that he's in the process 
of becoming, whether that's a young adult or even kind of a teenager growing into a man, you know, like the transitions in Spider-Man that he's not anywhere near any kind of destination that he's sort of always in flux. And I think for me, this is something that I, I had written about way back when, like God going all the way back to Miller's civil war was my realization that one of the things I kind of liked that, that worked about Spider-Man relatively early on was that there had to be a schism between the two characters. And I still think for me, that's very important for my sense of yeah. Spider-Man yeah. is, is that yeah. it's, it's okay if Peter Parker's life is being shit on, if Spider-Man's life is great or vice versa, like Peter Parker can have a great life and then Spider-Man's life is super worse, but they but, can't. But I, yeah. I was going to say, getting to what Cass said about Dan Slott, Spider-Man not seeming recognizable Spider-Man. Yeah. He takes that too far. Peter Parker is head of a super successful multinational global corporation. Mm-hmm. Is too successful. Yeah. Do you not think? Well, I mean, you don't even necessarily get into that point of, and then Spider-Man's kind of nothing. You know, what I, like they've got this weird, it's at least in the few issues that I've read, it's more like, oh, and there's Spider-Man and he's kind of like Iron Man, you know? Yeah, like exactly. It's, and so for me, it would be like, yeah, that would be great if like Spider-Man was seriously the number one hunted fugitive in the world. No, you know? see, that's, that's too grand scale for me. My Spider-Man has to be a lower scale. I, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man at a lower scale too. Don't get me wrong. But part of me is like, if you've, if you're going to go in that other direction, then I really do feel that you've got to have it, that there, that there's something between the difference, the difference between the ideal and the reality is such an important part of the Spider-Man formula, you know, for me that you've, you, you just can't have them on the same page. You, you just can't. So, or, you know, I mean, clearly you can, but that does get into that weird realm of, oh, not my Spider-Man, you know? And so yeah. even in a way, the Civil War Spider-Man, there's a little bit of that, that schism, you know, because you, you have that long scene with Tony Stark and Peter Parker, and you really establish his humble teenagerness, I suppose. And then that works relatively well for when he is a superhero and he's in amongst all the other superheroes and you're kind of got the big rock jam band thing like that to me, there's a, there's enough of that. But I think, I think that might be to me the key that there, that it more than the idea of even the guilt, which I used to think was such a classic concept of the character, the idea of that overdeveloped sense of responsibility um and i do think that that's important there's something there's something about spider-man honestly spider-man is a weird to me uh like a creator myth like literally not you know a myth about creating like spider-man could just as well be like one of the better spider-man comics that i read uh that isn't spider-man is beck mongolian chop squad you know, because the distance between what that kid is and what he sort of what he's trying to become. And even once he gets there and then the way things fall out of sync is is to me very resonant in that way of someone who's actually trying to 
self-actualize some part of themselves and the schisms that begin to, to develop as a result of that, of the need of that. So, yeah, I, I, okay, let's, let's leave it at that. Sure. Uh, I, I don't have exactly the same read in Spider-Man as you, mm-hmm. uh, but I think you are, I think I, I bow to your superior Spider-Man knowledge, put it that Aww, way. That's right. That's right. I, I think you're much more of a fan. Do you know what I mean? So it, yeah. I th- basically, I value your opinion more than me in Spider-Man. Oh. Well, I mean, if you have another opinion, I definitely want to hear it. But I also know, of course, you're like, yes, Jeff, that was great. Thank you for sucking all the air out of the room. We have six <laughs> and a half minutes. No, no it, it's, uh, it, it comes down to, for me, scale. Mm-hmm. Not just in terms of like my Spider-Man is not – like Peter Parker should not run a, a multinational corporation. That's ridiculous. Spider-Man should not be the most hunted fugitive in the world. That's ridiculous too. Um, but also the guilt should be present, but it shouldn't be, uh, it should always be understated. I agree. Well, I mostly agree. The guilt should should not be so present in Spider-Man's actions. Mm -hmm. It should, it should be in the background. It should always be in the background. But like the whole, I don't know if you remember the nobody dies Spider-Man. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Like it's too on the nose. Right. No, I agree. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's when you get Spider-Man going from, and I'm specifically talking about the Spider-Man persona, not Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. But when you get Spider-Man being so angst-ridden that there's not the quips, that yeah. there's not the protective mask of nothing is going to bother me because I'm okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then then something's broken in Spider-Man for me. Yeah, because no, I, my, I agree with you. My too. Spider-Man is one who. The comedy is always present, mm-hmm. in large part to protect the character from the guilt. Well, to, to me, I think I'd rather have the responsibility than the guilt as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want a Spider-Man who feels responsible for other people and for saving people, but not a Spider-Man who does it because he's constantly feeling guilty and voicing his guilt. Yeah, that part I, I think I'm a little tired by. In fact, one of the things that was really so enjoyable about Hannah Blumenreich's spider scene and the and the cartoons there is the way in which her Spider-Man is such an essentially decent person. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. I, and I think that's great. I remember when uh, uh, Fraction uh, was writing, you know, had been writing Iron Man and a few other, you know, had some appearances by Spider-Man and everyone was like, oh my God, your take on Spider-Man was great. And I remember seeing him in a panel, I think of WonderCon or something and, and kind of being like, Spider-Man is just, he's, he's the best person, you know, he's just, he's a really good person. And I, and that is that, I think that is so uh, important to the character. And definitely don't get me wrong. There's, there's parts in, in even that Dan Slott issue that I read where it's like, Peter Parker like tries to save one of his uh one of the workers at his plant when something goes wrong and the guy's dying and he's getting ready to throw everything that he can to to save the to save this worker because it's his responsibility and I was kind of like again there's the underscoring of it's my responsibility I'm like you could just leave it at the idea that this is something that you would do because that's how much a life matters to you without exactly. having to say because this is how much a life matters to me exactly it's, 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 it's not a, like a peter parker's doing it's not peter parker's doing this because this guy is his best friend or this guy is his employee it's peter parker's doing this because 
this guy's life is at risk. Yeah, because this is a living person, and it's and he is just that that level of it. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I I mean I totally agree with you. You and I could go round and round on it because honestly, I'm the same way. And for a long time, I was very much like I don't want Spider Man beyond kind of that street level stuff. For me, of course, I feel like it's sort of ridiculous. Uh, to do otherwise. But honestly, I have to say that some of the cosmic powered Spider-Man stuff from Stern and uh, Romita Jr. made me think like, you know what? I think you can actually do something just about anything with Spider-Man as long as you're smart, as long as you're smart enough about it. I think, I, I think that what I would love to do, like we've talked about our various read throughs. I think, it would be fun to actually do a read through of Dan Slott's Spider-Man and talk about everything that he gets wrong because I'm fascinated by how much he gets right about Spider-Man and how much he spent thinking about Spider-Man and how he gets it into weird places that make no sense. Like, like the 24 spider, you know, phase of Spider-Man, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of that stuff. That's just very like, I, see what slot's trying to do and i kind of appreciate it but i also think that he's wrong and in a way that i suspect you and i are more in agreement than either of us are in agreement with say dan slot let's team up and take out dan slot is what i'm saying oh god uh steven lacy mm-hmm. of the fabulous fantastic cast yay Warning, the podcast is just called the fantastic cast it's now called the fabulous fantastic cast that was me putting a qualifier on it because it's a great podcast Anyway, Stephen Lee says, Hi, Graham and Jeff. Hi, Stephen. This is a question I posed to my listeners a couple of years ago, but I'm interested in your take on it. When it comes to the Fantastic Four, pretty much everyone can agree that Lee Kirby, Burns, Simonson, Wade Waringo, and Hickman are the consistent peaks in the title's history. But what are your underrated run stories, the gems that get lost in the gaps between these runs? Uh, Stephen Lacey, you're the best. Uh, this is going to be a potentially ugly bloodletting uh, series of questions, uh, answers between Graham and I. I think Graham and I will just have to each answer it and pretend that we aren't listening to what the other person's saying. So, Graham? <laughs> Why do you think that like, I am so upset? That you have, like, I don't think you're going to be upset, but I, I just know that I'm going to say, well, so that one Jerry Conway issue, and you're going to be like, Bleh! and I'm like, actually, the stuff I just read with Roy Thomas, Bleh! I'm like, I kind of dig that one, blah, and then I'll say Mark Grenwald's Marvel 2 one. You'll be like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, so I'm prepared for that. Go. On the plus side, you have just said your answer, so that's good. Yeah, I think I had a few more in there, basically, but go. Um, <laughs> I I am well known for being a big fan of the Engelhart run, or in the 300s. I'm looking forward to that, sort of. Um, which is like the most 1980s Engelhart imaginable, <laughs> which is both a good and a bad thing, everyone. I'm just going to say this right now, talking about acquired tastes, as we were a few minutes ago. Uh, Steve Englehart in the 1980s was a particularly acquired taste, and his Fantastic Four run is particularly in there. For people who read his Green Lantern and was like, wait, that whole thing about the 14-year-olds making herself older so she can fuck Hal Jordan, that's kind of weird. Yeah, look forward to lots of that shit in his Fantastic Four run. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, And also... I have a, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. I don't like it, but I have a weird admiration for Tom DeFalco and Paul Ryan Tron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's actually bad. <laughs> I genuinely think it's not good. But there's something about the, 
the gusto and sincerity with which they approach it mm-hmm. that I kind of like. So, yeah, that's me. I, I think the, the the qualifier that I want to throw in there is I will mention that I, there's a couple of Jerry Conway stuff that I, I think had the potential to be great and clearly upon rereading it was not. I think there's the stuff uh, some during the Thomas stuff that I think is – uh, potentially very underrated uh, that I, I ended up enjoying, like as good, fun, you know, comfort food comics. I thought I thought were good. Uh, I, Just tell me when I should be vomiting. Yeah, that's I did it for you. You're safe. But I do want to say that, A, uh, I'm fascinated by the extent to which Jonathan Hickman is doing a whole bunch of things that I want from – um, a create a Marvel creator on a Marvel comic, and yet it still leaves me cold. And honestly, I thought the Wade Waringo stuff was really overrated. I I love Mike Waringo's art. I think it's great. I think that Mark Wade is uh, I I I thought I thought his stuff was mo. It was it was passable. It was it was. I don't think it was particularly strong, honestly. I really I, it's funny because reading the, the you know everyone agrees that it's Lee Kirby, Burns, Simonson, Wade Waringo, and Hickman. A part of me was really tempted to be like, "What are you talking about, Miller and Hitch, or where it's at?" <laughs> um, that's that's just because I'm cruel. Um, it uh, I would I think I disagree with Hickman and, and Wade Waringo as well. Wade Waringo I really liked at the time, and I reread it fairly recently, and I was like, "Oh, I, I guess I don't like that." Oh, mm-hmm. the Claremont run. Oh, I'm looking the, forward to trying the Claremont run. The I have Claremont to say, run is, Claremont, is, is, is it super, Paul Neary? Is it Claremont and Paul Neary, or am I wrong on that? It, no, it's Claremont and um, Sal LaRocca. Oh, yeah, Sal LaRocca, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 very latter Claremont, mm-hmm. which, again, we're getting firmly into the acquired taste sense. Yeah. Uh, but Claremont, Claremont writes them as a family, which, mm-hmm. to be fair... Uh, I don't think Hickman gets right ever. I never bought Hickman's Fantastic Four as a family, mm-hmm. and I didn't really buy Wade's Fantastic Four as a family either. Um, so yeah, I, I, Claremont seemed more honest to the characters in a strange mm-hmm. way than either of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of the. I, I like uh, Dwayne McDuffie's really short run. Right with, with with his fill in Fantastic Four. Yeah, actually, his fill in Fantastic Four stuff. I remember his uh, his kind of uh, apologia post Civil War apologia for Reed Richards was like I was like, oh, that really works. Exactly, so, yeah. that's surprisingly graceful and and potent. Yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, I remember Claremont. They're like literally reading just one page of one. Uh, issue of a Claremont run and I remember it was like it was like the thing was on a pier in Brooklyn and I think he'd bought himself like a townhouse or something there might have even been in like a fucking sweater looking out at the water or something and I was like oh holy shit like it really pinged in me like I'm like oh I want to read this and and having that weird feeling of like oh right Claremont is someone who potentially could he might actually get the Fantastic Four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or, or there's a there's a way in which yeah, in which Claremont's Claremont's ability to craft a family atmosphere that served him so well in the X Men, I could see how that would work with the with the FF. And then, but I never went back and read it. And I have been kind of 
uh, thinking that I was looking forward to reading it, and now I'm not going to. I mean, not within the realm of our original thing because it's. Is it outside the f- the first four hundred? It's, it's issues? yeah, it's way outside. Yeah, it's okay. um, it's after they Post- come back from Hiroshima Barn. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that'll be kind of interesting. Maybe I'll do that on my own. But um, yeah, yeah, I I could go on and on about the Wade Wurinko stuff, but I think that's it's a fun question. I should also say that uh, one of the things I really like about the Fantastic Cast is uh, that Stephen and company cover uh, Marvel Two in One episodes uh, issues. Yeah. And yeah, I think I, that... I really like that too, and and uh, it kind of almost makes me sad we don't, but we are slow enough as is. Yeah, we are, and it's also sort of I I wouldn't know. I guess we would just have to dig into the essentials in order in order to make that work. But I do think that uh, I'm I'm actually really sorry in a way that Steve Gerber never got a shot at doing the the FF because I think because it's clear that he has like a fondness and I think an understanding of Ben Grimm, the character, I mean, which isn't surprising, I think, because, because of Gerber's uh, appreciation for the gruff everyman character. But I, I would have liked to have seen what he would have brought to everyone else as well. I think, and I think the only reason why it might not have worked is if he had felt compelled as, um, as an FF writer to basically be like, Oh, now I've got to do a Dr. Doom story. Now to do a Galactus story. I really, which is, is the downfall of so many FF writers. Exactly. I I think that, I think that one of the things that would have been wonderful would have been seeing Gerber do an FF run that would have been about Gerber's concerns and, and creating new characters for those concerns and bringing that into a, to the context of the FF. I think that could have been, I think that could have been kind of potent. So, that's that's one that I'm always kind of sorry uh, never never came together. Jeff, we've just finished the questions. Woohoo, everybody! <laughs> it only took us three episodes. Yeah, this is the third episode. Something hey, like I, at one point, I genuinely thought it might take us four. So I'm really I did glad too. We three yeah. and three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad we pushed through that. So uh, yeah. Um, everyone, I think Graham should move us right into the closing comments because we ran a little long here. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everyone for joining me in the first of these Q&A episodes that I recorded back in my house, which means that, importantly, it's also the first one that I have not recorded lying down, which oh. is how I recorded the previous two Q&A episodes. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's important. But this is what you guys want to know. You want to know where to find us on the internet. Hey, we've got a website, waywaypodcast.com, brought to you by Squarespace. Not really. Uh, waywaypodcast.com is where you can find written posts uh, for each of the Wait What and Baxter Building episodes. You can also find uh, occasional written posts uh, for other things as well. I recently did the uh, Rebirth books for July. The August ones are coming up as soon as I have a non-mind-bending time to write it. Mm. Uh, Jeff, you wrote about Jason Bourne recently, which was super exciting. Oh, well, thank uh, you. I want to write uh, more. I think I will be writing some more stuff very soon, I'm hoping. Uh, and Matt Terrell also writes uh, on a regular basis for us as well. There's lots of stuff there. There's a Tumblr, weightwatchpods.tumblr.com, where I and Jeff post up random shit that, in Jeff's case, he's reading, including the occasional small review that he sneaks in, which I adore, uh, and for <laughs> random images that I have either found or searched out for particular reasons that amuse, entertain, or educate me. 
weightwatpods.tumblr.com. We are also on Twitter at weightwatpodcast. Jeff is on Twitter solo at lazybastard at l a z y b a s t i d. I am on Twitter solo at Graham M at G R A E M E M. Matt is available on Twitter as well. I should say at Matt underscore Terrell. M A T T underscore T E R L. And we are a Patreon supported podcast. And with those words, I turn the microphone over to Mr. Jefferson Lester. Yes, that's right, everyone. Uh, Patreon, where a wonderful and devoted group of people uh, help make all this possible, uh, particularly the Baxter Building podcast, which was a stretch goal uh, that we were able to achieve. And we've done, God, 20 episodes of um, all thanks to the, the wonderful people who uh, who managed to support, encourage and, and make us feel you know, a little less lonely in the universe. We especially uh, owe a debt of gratitude to the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support of this podcast. And uh, we also um, bow down toward Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, her cosmic Thank pop. you again. Yeah, for I'm not... That's destroying us. Exactly. Like, in your mighty paw, curling up the, the, the strange and magnificent black hole at the center of our, our uh, Milky Way. Thank you. Um, I like that metaphor, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I think it's pretty good. Uh, we will be back, not next week, but the week after that, with our... Wait, what was that? <gasps> Were you about to contradict me? Me? No. No. Did I, I... I hope you're talking to someone else who walked in the room, because I was like... Really? But no, I think I think that's right, Graham. I think no, it is, it is right. Yeah, uh, I feel like I we've... know. Two two weeks from now, we'll be back with a wait. Well, that will not be a Q and A episode. No, no. Uh, instead, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. Let's see what what is even happening in the internet. You know, the great thing about about this is is that I haven't had much of a chance to talk about the comics that I've been reading. So by that point, I'll have accrued up such a huge head of steam. That I'll be like, oh, I've got 40 comics to talk about. And, of course, something will happen on the internet that we'll spend like an hour and a half on. And then you'll be like, okay, Jeff, your comics, go! (laughs) We might actually get to do like a full-on just comic review episode. It might be fun. Right? It's been so long. Um, Anyway, two weeks. That's when we'll be back. In the meantime, I think you should all be good to each other. And more so importantly, be good to yourselves as well. You dig? (laughs) Oh my god, that's awesome. Bob Haney returns to close out our wait what? <laughs>